0: Welcome. NWO Monday Nitro is on the air. I'm Eric Bischoff, along with Hall, Nash, the Outsiders, coming to you live from Des Moines, Iowa. And man, is it cold here. But gentlemen, we have some business. I promised you last night. We have some business we have to attend to here. For those of you that weren't able to join us on pay-per-view last night, major, major injustice. And I want to show you just how badly the outsiders were treated at the hands of some WCW officials. We'll talk more about it in a minute, but take a look at this. Look at He's this beat. right here. He's
1: beat. Outside of Edge. Sweet! It's all over. Boom. So oh. look at this. Let's count. How many? Loser. <laughs> He's right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's got to be 20 by now. And hey. these guys assaulted Nick Patrick. Look at this dog-faced
0: mark. Nick Patrick was down, as you pointed out, at the hands of the Steiner brothers. And this is where it gets good. Look at this. Okay, at who that. is that? Randy Anderson. What's this? Oh. And I'm handling it, Oh, look at this. What? Hey, look, I have my shoulder up. Did you see it? My shoulder
2: was up a little bit.
0: That's not even the issue here. That is not even the issue here. And we're going to address. What, in my opinion, is one of the greatest injustice, injustices ever done in the history of this sport. And to do that, at this point right now, I would like to bring down the man who is in that ring at this time. Referee Randy Anderson. You want us to beat him up? No, don't beat him up.
1: Come on down. Where is that ring? He's up in a ring. Have, he, nepotism runs rampant in WCW. This redneck has a job because he's related to somebody. Now, I've said before that we would have Come a level here, play. You goof. Front and center.
0: Pick up that microphone. Sir? I want you to tell me. Settle down. Settle down. It's all right. What were you thinking last night? I was just refereeing. No no, 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 no. no, no. No, I don't think you get it. First of all, what were you doing in the building? The promoter gave me a ticket for the event WCW. It was sold
1: out, I believe, sucker. Mr. Mr. Mernick
0: gave me a ticket. You mean to tell me that a WCW promoter gave you a ticket? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, sir. And how much did you pay for that ticket? It was a a gift. A gift. Yeah, I'm going to give you something. No, 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 no. We'll take care of this. A gift. Yes, sir. Are you familiar at all with company policy relating to receiving gifts from other WCW employees? No, sir. Ignorance is no excuse for Andy Anderson. The fact is, you cannot accept payola. You cannot accept freebies of any kind. Do you, do you realize that you violated company policy? No, sir. I just thought I was doing my job. No, you didn't do your job. No, the Steiners were the ones doing the job. They were beat. I'll tell you what. I know that you've had a tough year. About Lecesne. I That's know. The, I, I don't want to hear about your personal problems. I know that you've had but. a tough year. But under the circumstances, I have there is I have no other choice. You are hereby terminated. <laughs> you're fired. Children. I don't want to <laughs> hear about your family problems. I'm telling you, you were fired. Good luck. Uh,
1: I I wish you the best. No hard feelings, man. No hard feelings. (laughs) I wish you the very best. Get out of here, you loser! Hey, walk around like this.
2: (laughs) Get out of here, you jabron.
3: And if you welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, it's my broadcast colleague,
4: Dave Amentorp. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing great. I was out for a walk. It's a nice, beautiful day out, and I'm trying to enjoy the next couple of days that are really nice because it, knowing Minnesota the way it is, Saturday we might get snow a little bit in the morning. So <laughs> That's something that, that that's like, it's the middle of May, and that's just yeah. another unexpected thing in our lives now.
3: It is crazy. I was out uh, for a bike ride earlier. I've got a t-shirt. I've got shorts on. And I was thinking the same thing. Like it's a sunny day. I am having this beautiful bike ride, and yet uh, we gotta, you know, figure out we've we've got plants planted in the garden. We're gonna have to put like a blanket over them over the weekend because we got a freeze warning. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's stupid, and it sucks. And I love Minnesota, and I'll. I've lived here my whole life, and I'll never leave, but also it's the worst place on earth, and it's dumb, and I don't like it.
4: <laughs> I love it, but also it's stupid
3: as it <laughs> Also, it's the worst. And even and I can say that, and if anyone else ever says that to me, I will punch them in the mouth. <laughs>
4: right. That's, just, that's exactly how people defend the states they live in. It's like, I can say anything I want to about it, but don't you dare try to do the same thing. <laughs>
3: Now before we get into today's show, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at Twenty Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash twenty years of nitro. And of course you can email the show at twenty yearsofnitro at gmail.com. Now before we get into Nitro, I do want to introduce our guest today, who is an independent wrestler based in Louisville, Kentucky. You may have seen her in Bizarro Lucha, Girl Fight Wrestling, Black Label Pro, and more. Please welcome to the show, the little blue gremlin, hashtag baby draw, it's space Jesus herself, Billy Starks. Billy, welcome to the show.
5: Thanks for having me.
3: Uh, uh, how is your lockdown going? How, how are you making it without wrestling? Is, is it going all right over there?
5: Um, Pretty good. Played a few video games, um, dried my family insane, um, <laughs> beat my brother up a few times. He's not very happy about that. <laughs>
3: What do you uh, video game wise? What are you playing these days?
5: I played Wonder Song, which was a game I wanted to play forever, and then I played um, another game called Brothers, and it was like a game where you controlled two characters at the same time, and you. Oh, I think I've heard of that. Song. Okay. Oh, it was really, really good. I enjoyed it.
3: That's cool, Dave. You're. Wh- what are you playing
4: these days? Uh, I was playing a little bit of. I got Assassin's Creed Origins. Mm-hmm. Which is not—it's not the most recent one. It's the second most recent one. It is like you're an assassin during like ancient Egypt times. Oh yeah, I, I
3: played that one a little bit.
4: Yeah, and it was like it was also on sale, so it was like fifteen bucks originally. I wanted to play the original Assassin's Creed game, but that's still fifteen dollars online. <laughs> and I was like, well, I might as well get like the new one between the two, because I kind of wanted to get like a an idea of how the more recent games are for Assassin's Creed, because they announced that Valhalla that's going to be coming out at the yeah, end of the year. Yeah, you love
3: viking shit. Viking uh, shit is right up your alley.
4: It is. It Absolutely is. And I was playing that for a while and then uh, after a few days of playing it I'm like I'm just running around and killing people aren't I? Like <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like their 18th game and there's n- just not a lot of variety to it. So I'm now I'm kind of like mm, I'm not sure Maybe I'll wait for Valhalla to be uh discounted mm-hmm. or something like that, because I was just like I, I get this. I played it for like twelve hours. I get what we're doing here. Um <laughs> I, I like I just like a little bit of like doing a little bit of everything, like uh like um I think the best example is like Red Dead Redemption 2. There's sure. so many different things you could be doing in that game and in which you can ignore the storyline like you could ignore the storyline and play poker for like twelve hours. Or right. you could go hunting and get the benefits of that for a long time. That, those are the kind of games I like at which I feel like there's just so many options. Or like The Witcher 3 um, was another one I really liked. So I've kind of like changed the, um, in my mind, Like there, the types of games I enjoy are ones at which I get to do a lot of whatever I want. And Assassin's Creed was just like sneak up on the guy and kill the guy and make yeah. sure the other guy does not notice you kill that guy pretty much
3: now Billy uh, I'm curious because we're talking about games the big game right now uh, all over my Twitter and also in my household even though it's not something I play but my son my wife they're all about the Animal Crossing are you playing Animal Crossing
5: See, I only tried it once um, Wolf got a switch and he got it and I was like oh let me try because all of my friends talk about it and I never saw like the hype behind it Mm-hmm. So I tried it, and I was like, "This is okay, but I don't understand why everybody's so obsessed with it dead by day. like that's one of like my favorite games. I enjoy like storytelling and like objective games. Yeah, that's like, the type of games I enjoy.
3: You are speaking my language. i I've been playing um the remake of Final Fantasy Seven, a game that came out originally when I was in junior high. So now I'm here playing the, you know, the new version. Honestly, it's it's good, and I think if I were a young person, I picked it up. I'd probably love it. For me, though, every time I'm playing it, I'm like, I should probably just play the original because I'm only playing this to remind myself of the original. Why don't I just pick up the original? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Billy, this is a question I have purposely avoided asking you as we talked about you coming on the show and setting all this up, uh, but I'm curious now that we're here, now that you're on the show, how familiar with World Championship Wrestling and Monday Nitro were you prior to watching the episode for this show?
5: Um, I'm not going to lie, I'm not like super educated because this is not what I grew up watching. Like I grew up watching NXT and like WWE and then yeah. later got into indies from my stepfather Mouse.
3: Mhm. Someone telling me they grew up watching NXT makes me feel a thousand years old. <laughs> right.
5: <laughs> like, I just remember NXT and ROH were, like, my thing growing up. I was like, sure. ah, this is what I love.
3: <laughs> so have you ever, before this Nitro, had you ever gone back and watched on uh, the network or even just a match like a, a classic, like, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio match? Or was this your first time watching WCW? Um,
5: No, me and Mouse have gone back before. But, like, not in times that it was, like, really stuck with me. I've watched, like, Eddie a few times because I just mm-hmm. enjoy how he paces matches. It's always quick pace, and it always keeps you on the edge of your seat. So, like, I've watched that, but I don't think I've watched, like, a full show like I did, like, with this one.
3: That's awesome. I'm so excited because we've – the guests – we don't normally have guests. We kind of started doing guests maybe, like, a month ago, honestly, and most of the time, it's people who are like, I remember watching this in my basement when I was 15. Uh, so I'm really excited to get the perspective of someone who is more or less watching Nitro for the first time in their life. That's that's awesome. So uh, welcome to the show. I'm really excited. Let's go through Nitro because today is Monday, January 27th, 1997. And we are coming to you live from the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa, in front of 3,790 fans who paid a total gate of $63,439. This is the first WCW event inside this building. It is the first show after Saturday's NWO sold-out pay-per-view, and it is the 71st episode of WCW Monday Nitro. That sounds like a really big um, gate, like 63000 do you say? It's a lot of money considering there's not a ton of... It's a small venue, you know, the, the mm-hmm. venue... Um, and as opposed to sold out, which was a small venue that was clearly packed, this is a small venue that definitely has a lot of empty seats, a lot of blackout in the in the upper deck. Um, yeah, so it is. Yeah, to get sixty three thousand out of such
4: a small group, I think is is still somewhat impressive. Yeah, I f- and I found during this show that I became I was very aware of how small the arena is because mm-hmm. like. Um, for a lot of like the like the the like the hard cuts to the of the ring, you could see like the concourse, right? Um, which is like it just typically you don't you don't see it so like 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 uh, starkly against like the background. Um, so yeah, I did notice that it is like kind of a smaller arena. So when you mentioned it's like sixty three, that sounds like a lot of money for like they're getting a lot of money per head on this one. Yeah. After our theme song, Eric Bischoff welcomes
3: us to NWO Monday Nitro. It's Bischoff who's at the broadcast desk along with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and he immediately says that they have business they need to attend to at the top of the show. We get a replay of the end of the Outsiders match against uh, the Steiners that Sold Out, where Randy Anderson, of course, ran in to count the three and give the tag team championships to the Steiners. Eric calls Randy Anderson, who is in the ring preparing for the first match, to instead come down to the broadcast area. Randy jogs down and grabs a mic. Eric asks Randy why he was even in the building on Saturday, and Anderson says that the promoter gave him a ticket for free as a gift. Eric claims that company policy prohibits employees from receiving gifts from one another, uh, which is someone who works in a large corporation, That's insane. Like, of course, yeah. they say you can't accept gifts from a vendor or from someone seeking to do business with your company. Right. But, like, there would be no uh, white elephant Christmas office party if if you couldn't just take a gift from another employee. Uh, but whatever. It, w- it would make sense if he said a ref can't take a gift from a promoter or a wrestler Whatever, but he just says employees can't accept gifts. That's nuts.
5: I just feel like the punishment of, like, firing him for accepting a gift was just not, like, (laughs) acceptable at all. I was like, wait, this is not fair.
3: It was a little over the
4: top. (laughs) Yeah. I I just, I mean, like, the reasoning was confusing to me, but then I just had to remind myself that Eric Bischoff is a heel, and so he is probably... Twisting some rule that he's aware of to make it fit what he wants to do, and is probably right. like, "We'll see if the championship committee does anything about this, or if I could just do what I want." Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, that that is like, th- there is that that line about um, not accepting any payola. Yeah, is what Bischoff says, which just <laughs> kind of—it's a goofy way of saying like, "You violated company policy." <laughs> <laughs>
3: Randy says that he was just doing his job, and Scott Hall interjects to say it was the Steiners who were the ones who were doing the job.
4: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Eric says he knows that Anderson has had a tough year, and Randy says, yes, sir, well, the cancer has, and Eric cuts him off with, I don't want to hear about your personal life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which is hilarious to cut someone off talking about their cancer uh, and cut them off with with that, but uh, it is also a reference to real life events as it was just months before this, that Randy Anderson uh, in real, this is a true story. He was reading an article on cancer warning signs, and he recognized that he had many of those symptoms, Mm -hmm. uh, which are the symptoms of testicular cancer. And with that information, he did a check on himself and he found a lump and went to the doctor. And just three weeks later, he was on an operating table having his left testicle removed so when Eric references him having a rough year, like, that yeah. is not a joke. The man had a rough year. Eric says that he has no other choice given the circumstances, and he fires Anderson on the spot, and the outsiders laugh and taunt. He
2: you hey, you know what? Else. We're not uh... done.
0: We're not done. Somebody bring the Steiner
1: brothers out here now. All right. All right.
2: Now you're talking. We've Where, got are a, they? Where are the they? The people
1: want to see Bring them out the here people's right choice, the working man's team. You want to see the real tag champs, Big Kev, Big Scott, ready to do it. I want Watch this, E. This is going to be sweet. Come on out, gentlemen. Come here, you two goose. Ooh, come on out. Come here. Come here. Which one you want?
0: Uh,
2: give me the big jack. This is going to be here. real easy.
0: Stay right there. You don't need to get any closer. You can hear me just fine, I'm sure. Gentlemen. In case you just didn't see what happened, Randy Anderson was fired. He was <laughs> terminated because he got involved in a match that he was not licensed to get involved in, and he received gratis. That's a gift from someone the, he shouldn't be
3: That's the have way too to slow down for these guys understand it.
0: Bottom line is, guys, leave the belts with the champs. Right here. You are stripped the real champs. Give them
1: up. Now. No, no, uh, no way. No. Hey. No way. Dogface. Dog we face. want the belts, it belts. Give me it now. Give me
2: the belt.
0: I am the highest ranking official in WCW. I am telling you right now. And we are
2: the best tag team. We want the belts now.
0: My decision, it's final. Leave the belts here, it's or distinct. you'll be in breach of contract. It's that simple. I want the belts, and I want them now. We're running short of time, and you've got a match. Give me the belts now. Dog face, I want yours. Yeah, the belts.
1: Hey! Oh, look at that. Look at that. Pick it up. Yes, face, it?
0: Pick it up. I tell you what, don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. And don't bother picking up your paycheck for the next six that? months. To the right-
3: Eric then demands that the Steiners come out from the back and they do so carrying their tag team title belts a line of very skinny security geeks who would never in a million years be able to stop one Steiner let alone both of them <laughs> come out to stand between the NWO and the Steiners and Eric tells them that Anderson has been fired and the belts must be relinquished to the outsiders. Eric reminds them that he is the highest ranking WCW official and failure to comply with his orders would be, would be considered a breach of contract. And so the Steiners give up their belts, but not before they throw them down on the concrete floor a couple times, infuriating Bischoff. Uh, the Steiners then head down to the ring for their match against the faces of fear. And I'm curious what you guys thought here, uh, I really liked the stuff with Randy Anderson because it, it's a good heel angle based on some real-life stuff um, that makes Bischoff look like just a complete dick. Uh, but I thought the stuff with the Steiners made them look like, you know, they're baby faces. They sh- they shouldn't just give up their belts to the Outsiders that easy. I, was, I thought that was kind of weak. Uh, Billy, how did you like the opening angle here? What did you think?
5: I thought it was, like, really good for Eric to get heat from firing Randy so early on.
3: Mm-hmm. And
5: then um, – I really enjoyed how like I understand the Steiner brothers gave up their boats really easily, but I liked how they still showed that they were furious about giving it them up. And mm-hmm. it also popped me when <laughs> um I think it was um Kevin, he picked it up, he goes, He broke it. <laughs> Bishop knows he's paying for it, so it doesn't matter.
3: <laughs> Dave, what'd you
4: what do you think about our opening segment here? I fucking hated it, oh no <laughs> because it's more it's more storyline nonsense for a referee. this is now our second referee that's gonna have a storyline in oh, which sure. in which it's just maddening in which why why couldn't they use this for a wrestler that could use some exposure against the n w o instead mm. of someone that like I've talked about this many times. I don't like the idea of referees being in storylines because referees are, like, they're better when they're not seen or heard, you know? Mm -hmm. A good referee is a referee you're not referencing at all. And just the idea of, like, we've already had months of uh, Nick Patrick as the heel referee, and now we have a storyline face referee, and you can kind of see where that's going, like, we're probably going to have a referee referee wrestling match at some point here, and I just there it just it's taken up so much time at the beginning of a show in which there's no action going on as well because from what i could from what I could read, there was no dark matches, so this is how the entertainment started for the fans there, in which yeah. everyone's huddled around the announcing booth, and you can't they can't hear anyone besides the occasional Randy Anderson reply. So they're, they're not catching mm-hmm. any of this. It's just, it's su- to me, it's such a a, a low-energy way to start off a show for the wrestling fans there that are expecting action. And and also, I just, the the whole idea of just like, well, we can just strip guys and return the belts back to the NW anyway. It puts such a low value on the championships. And it's just like, well, I, how can I expect a WCW tag team to win the championships anymore now. Mm-hmm. Like it's no longer, it no longer feels like it's going to be believable. Or if they, if it happens the next month, should I expect them to be champion? Like the WCW guys to be champions. It's just, no, there's nothing about this worked for me <laughs> at yeah. all. I, again, it's just, I feel like that they could, they could, they could get, the, they could accomplish the same things as far as like Bischoff being heel and Hall and Nash being dicks, but they could do that with a wrestler that could benefit from this sort of angle or exposure.
3: Out come the phases of fear, and Eric reassures us that even though the Steiners aren't the champions anymore, we will still have a tag team championship match later in the show uh, to fulfill their advertising obligations. Meanwhile, the match is started, and Scott levels Barbarian with a Lariat and Rick Power Slams Meng. The Steiners do their barking and posing, And the Outsiders on commentary talk about potential opponents for tonight, saying that they've already beat the Faces of Fear and the Steiner Brothers, so tonight they're making an open challenge for any young and upcoming teams who happen to be out there. I like the idea of making an open challenge during the show, like a tag team is supposed to drive to the arena and get ready. You know, bring Uh your gear, just show up. (laughs) The Faces of Fear get the advantage as Barbarian hits a side slam on Scott and a splash in the corner. Uh, An attempt for a second splash results in Steiner booting him in the face and hitting a belly-to-belly for two. Rick and Meng come in and exchange some punches. Meng hits an atomic drop, and Nash compares referee Scott Dickinson to, quote, the time to make the donuts guy. And if anyone out there is old like me and Dave and remembers (laughs) a little bit of the Dunkin' Donuts ad that he's referring to, there is zero resemblance between that guy and Scott Dickinson. That was like an older Italian guy with a mustache. Does not look. A th- Do you remember that at all? Those commercials, Dave.
4: Very vaguely. Very vaguely. I felt. I mean, I feel like the guy that's in those commercials looks more like Mario. Yes, he exactly looks like yeah. Mario. Uh yeah. The thing,
3: and I don't even really remember the commercials so much as I remember an SNL sketch where John Lovitz was playing that guy in the very last. Like it was the the concept of the sketch was it was the last time to make the donuts commercial, and he was that guy, and he was bitter about being phased out. So he was oh. trying to ad-lib lines. That's great. That's great, Michael. Uh, when you're ready,
0: then we'll, we'll roll. Boy, this is the end of something really big, you know? Now, I mean, is it me, or do you think people are going to want to see what happens to my character after he retires? You know I just think his story needs a little closure, don't you think? Yeah, sure. I mean, have fun with him, Mike, all right? Okay. All right, let's do this. Here we go, everyone settle. And
6: action. <laughs>
3: At Dunkin' Donuts, you can always count on starting your day right, because we're up at the crack of dawn.
0: You know, for 15 years, it's been time to make the donuts, and now it's time to die. <laughs> what's, uh, What's going on over there, Mike? Well, you know, it's that closure thing I was talking about, you know? Fred made his donuts, and now he's gonna go home and take his own life. <laughs> that's
6: that's a little
3: dark for a donut commercial micah just go a little lighter and we can. Get... it's time to make the donuts and now it's time to die <laughs> 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 always laughed at that sketch anyway uh mang and barbarian catch rick with a back body drop and powerbomb combo i love the back body drop into the powerbomb it looks so cool every time mm-hmm. uh, scott steiner breaks up the pin harlem heat and sherry are shown in the crowd and uh Hall decides to give away their real hometown you know they're they're called Harlem Heat but then Scott Hall decides to go like well Des Moines is a long way from Houston so he's uh mm. he's given away the game a little bit there
4: i didn't also i don't get why that they're in the crowd cuz this is a ww show
3: yeah it's like they were just using leftover ideas from sold out oh, that made right. no sense now
4: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense no <laughs>
3: The Faces of Fear hit a double team on Rick, where Barbarian gives him a vertical suplex. Uh, but so, <laughs> oh yeah, the the idea is supposed to be Barbarian's giving him a vertical suplex, and once he's down, Meng is going to come off the top rope with a splash. But Rick was not expecting the splash portion. So right after the vertical suplex, he sits up, and Meng does a splash onto like the back of his head and his neck. It, it looks painful as hell. Uh, a pin attempt is then broken up by Scott and Barbarian comes back into the ring and hits a running power slam for two. Hall makes some veiled comments about Jerry Sags and the heat that they have since the chair-throwing incident back at a Shreveport house show a few weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Hall, Hall goes like, I remember in Shreveport when some guy threw something at me, and if that toothless punk gets his doctor's release, we're going to meet again. Uh, this is another sign that WCW is trying to turn that real-life incident into an angle, uh, but spoiler alert, that angle's never going to happen. We'll talk about the twists and turns as we go through it in our future episodes. But yeah. as a little bit of tease, I'm going to tell you that Jerry Sags will never even wrestle again until WCW is dead uh, in 2001. Oh, he just he waits out his contract, basically? He he ends up suing WCW and Scott Hall. Uh, it becomes a whole thing. And mm. um, there's an interesting uh, Kevin Nash shoot where he talks about it because... Um, Nash is like, hey, if you sue the company, the boys are going to we're going to be on your side and we'll come and we'll explain how, yeah, they force you to work through this concussion and it's all bullshit. But when he named Scott Hall in the lawsuit, oh, it made it so like (laughs) Nash and Hall didn't want anything to do with them. And they did not like they didn't give testimony that was beneficial to him. And uh, he ended up settling for almost no money. And uh, and then he wrestles again in like 2002 or three. Uh, He was basically like blackballed for for making a lawsuit in the industry. Um, and it's his return is only because it was in the, uh, what's it called, the XPW, the thing that Jerry Sags, uh, or Brian Nobbs, rather. Brian Nobbs promoted once WCW died. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> anyway, Scott comes, uh, oh wait, back to the match where the Faces of Fear hit double flying headbutts and Scott Steiner breaks up a third pin attempt. Barbarian tries a second rope belly to belly, but Rick blocks it, so Barbarian tries moving to the top rope. And Rick blocks it, in quotes, by falling straight forward onto Barbarian. <laughs> His own head comes like an inch from going straight into the mat. He almost, like, committed suicide by blocking <laughs> this belly-to-belly thought I, I thought, it,
4: I thought uh, it was good on Scott Hall to kind of cover for them on, on that. The, the idea that, like, he was trying to block it rather mm-hmm. than... I mean, it looks like they just kind of messed up a top rope move, but Scott Hall did a good job of kind of uh, uh, putting in, like, a reason of, like, what might have happened there for that. To, sure. Instead of just being like, oh, those two fucked up, you know.
5: He did a really good job on commentary, like, covering the wrestler's mistake and mm-hmm. then making it for the people at home It seemed more believable.
3: Is it ever – have you ever had an experience where there was a spot in a match that didn't go your way and then you're watching – The finished product and someone on commentary saves it and you're like thank god they were able to put that out there for me
5: um two come to mind so fright night mouse's show um me and holly wrestled and something happened and we got off track and commentary covered it up so well um i think i went to go give her a suplex and she was supposed to reverse out of it So it looks like I just give her a brain buster right on her head. And I was like, oh, God. Mm. (laughs) And they covered it up really well. And it made me look strong, even though I was just trying to do a reversal. (laughs) And then a Bizarro match. um, I went for, we were doing a tag move. It was Schmack. And I went for a second rope cutter, I believe. And, like, I just missed. Um, but commentary covered it up well. They're like, oh, pizza cats all over the place. Ah."
3: (laughs) (laughs) Scott comes in with some running clotheslines, a back body drop on Meng, and a butterfly suplex for two that Barbarian breaks up. Rick and Barbarian start brawling, and Eric mentions that Hulk Hogan is in the building tonight as Meng takes down Scott with a shoulder tackle before tripping over him when he tries to walk across the ring. As Barbarian and Rick continue to battle on the outside, Scott reverses a suplex attempt and hits an overhead belly-to-belly for the victory. Uh, this is by far, if I'm not mistaken, the longest match on the show. The only one with like some real meat on the bones. Um, and I thought it was fine. Like These are two teams I enjoy. They're just big guys who throw each other around. Mm-hmm. So even though there were a few miscues overall, I thought this was a fun opener. Uh, it's always fun to see the faces and the Steiners in there just just wailing on each other. Uh, what do you think, Billy?
5: Um, I really enjoyed the match. Um, apparently, I've met the faces of fear before and had no idea. Um, hmm. Mouse told me that um, when I was still taking photos at the second Black Label show I went to, they wrestled um, Nick Gage and Jimmy Lloyd, and I like had no idea that I've seen them before.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
5: I have the worst memory in the world. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you'd think they'd stand out, because I've met Barbarian, and he... Well, I've met both of them, but Barbarian especially is, like, a massive guy. He's... You don't just... You don't meet people his size. Uh, Maybe if you're a wrestler, you do. Maybe that's the difference between you and me, but... uh, Gosh, like, he just stands out in my mind as one of the biggest people I've ever met.
4: Yeah, and I remember, like, um, seeing Meng with his kids the uh the gorillas of destiny and how he still looks like a massive dude in comparison (laughs) to them yeah you know yeah uh but i i and i was gonna say i enjoy this match uh anytime the steiner brothers have other big men that they're gonna try to like suplex and toss around the ring that's always a plus for me this this is the kind of match that i like seeing as an opener um, and it's just unfortunate that they had like the 10 minute segment before they got to the match rather than have this match and they could have done the addressing afterwards um mm, sure. but no i th- i thought i mean like like i said i really liked how scott hall covered uh for that little bit of a mistake on the top rope there but other than that it's like you got a lot of like kind of the highlights of these two teams facing each other so yeah i thought it was a uh, i thought it was a good opener
5: during this match when like um, I was watching it. One thing really, really bothered me about the Steiner brothers, and I like loved their wrestling the entire time. Um, it was their gear. Like, I hated how their <laughs> gear fit them, and I was like, ah, oh, I hate that. Like, one thing like I pay attention to a lot as a wrestler is like people's entrances and gear, mm-hmm. and their like suits that they were wearing. It just I looked at it the entire time, and I was like, this bothers me <laughs> so much.
4: Oh, is it because they, they don't... Did they clash with each other?
5: Um, I think it was, like, the clashing and then also, like, the cut of it. Like, how, like, the skinniest strips... Like, I'd rather it just be those trunks instead of, like, oh, the skinny strips sure. that, oh. like, went all the way up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, those are just unneeded.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like they're they're... They're amateur wrestlers, so they feel like they need to wear the singlets so that you know they're amateur wrestlers, but they really want to show off their pecs because they're also body guys. So like, (laughs) they were like, what's the thinnest shoulder strap we can come up with so that you still see the most of our pecs possible? Correction, Scott Steiner's a body guy. Rick (laughs) Steiner is also there. (laughs) (laughs) The Steiner's hug and we go to commercial not with their music, but with the NWO music playing instead. When we return, our normal team of Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco are in the booth, and Tony, I love Tony Schiavone, and he's like right now he's a everyone loves the guy because he's doing so well for AEW. But mm. I got to be honest, he looks like ass this week wearing this <laughs> this blue sweatshirt. You want to talk about gear? I hated Tony Schiavone's fucking gear. His
4: sweatshirt sucks. <laughs> that is that was like the that's like the bottom of the suitcase outfit that he has. <laughs>
3: It has, like, the little crest logo on the chest, but it still looks like something that your dad bought at Target and wears when he's raking leaves on a moderately cool autumn evening.
4: <laughs> it looks like uh, it's something that a country <laughs> club gave to him for free for, like, going there so many times.
5: See, I don't remember that at all. Like,
6: I just remember me really, really
5: liking his voice. Like, as soon as he spoke, I was like, yes, I like that. Keep talking. <laughs>
4: When Nitro started, because we also had uh, Steve McMichael as one of the commentators, yes, Mango, we've always had a big focus on what they're wearing because they <laughs> there's some extremely '90s outfits that show up that you you got to kind of just point them out because they're just like so bizarre. And I'm fine with the '90s formal outfit, but this uh-huh. is this is too casual. This is not appropriate <laughs> <Right>. for television.
3: <laughs> Tony and Larry are disgusted by what happened in the show's opening moments. They want to show us some of the cool moments from Sold Out, but they're not allowed as it was an NWO event. Somehow uh, still photography is still allowed, so they show some stills. But uh, to really not, se-
4: <laughs> not just stills though. <laughs> I th- I was yeah. like I was like if it was going with a theme, I would get it, but it looked really silly that they that they were like fake polaroids. <laughs> Yes.
3: Yeah, they take what are clearly screenshots from the broadcast, and they put, like, a, f- uh, a border around them to make them look like Polaroids, as if there was a professional photographer who was at ringside who was taking Polaroids. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tony promises that the next match will have two gigantic men, and indeed out comes Roadblock, who we have seen uh, once on the show before when he faced Lex Luger back in the run-up to last November's World War Three, Roadblock is here to face the giant who enters to no music other than uh, somebody mistakenly queuing an ad break. So, like, yeah. he comes out, there's no music playing, and then a voice goes, promotional consideration, paid for, and then it just cuts off when they realize <laughs> their mistake. <laughs> uh, have you guys... They, they've done this gimmick a few times. The, the most recent one I could think of was Cesaro for a while. Uh, they've done the gimmick where somebody doesn't have music, and my question for you both is, has that ever worked?
5: <laughs> okay. For me, no. Like, the only person I can think it would work for is Levi. Um, he does an Amish gimmick, and I was like, that's oh, the only yeah, yeah, time yeah. I would ever think it would really, really work. Like, if you're doing like the old-timey mm-hmm. bat stuff, but like, I feel like your music adds more to your character or, like, who you are, and it gives people um, a sense of, like, what they're about to get into. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I enjoy people having music.
3: Does, does Levi come out with music or no?
5: So he has come out to music, and it's just, like, the uh, – what's it called? But, like, it fits what he is. But he's also done, like, times before where he hasn't had music. And he he's talked to me about it and he's like it really just depends on where I'm at if it, I think it will work or not what I do most of the time I do come out to music though because that's what people expect and it gives them a sense of who I am easier
3: Plus he's always got if nothing else he could do the Amish Paradise song by Weird Al Yankovic like every <laughs> that everyone loves that song when We
5: told him come out the-
3: He's like, no! <laughs> Dave can you think of the no music gimmick ever working for anybody
4: no I mean I think the closest that kind of worked was um, there was that period of time when Ziggler when Dolph Ziggler had his music start briefly and then it stopped oh yeah and then he yep. came out but that still was like they were still utilizing music to emphasize the lack of music pretty mm-hmm. much Yeah. But um no, I I feel like the music like sets the tone for the wrestler that's coming out. Like usually it gives you an idea if it's a heel or a face. And and I think we also saw that at sold out because um I mean I'm sure Billy did not listen to our sold out (laughs) podcast. Oh, she didn't um, listen to all three and a half hours of us
3: talking about a bad (laughs) pay-per-view? Right. I've listened to
5: this podcast before because on, like, Car Rides, Mouse just randomly puts on different podcasts. So I've heard this before, but (laughs) I haven't watched that episode.
4: Okay. Yeah, so for the NWO pay-per-view, when the WCW wrestlers came out, they did not get their music as kind of a way of, like, just – just uh to upset them from the beginning, but the thing is, it was very difficult for the fans to know when to react because I'm sure it was yeah. hard to kind of recognize that someone was coming out that was a babyface or that that it was like Diamond Dallas Page, and they there was a slow reaction because they didn't realize that he was out there pretty much, and I yeah. feel like that music helps with that too, um especially since like the music tends to start up before the wrestler even comes out, yeah, so I, for sure absolutely like the lack of music is it's just a negative as far as I'm concerned. Um, like I said, like the Ziegler that doesn't really count because like they use the music to emphasize mm-hmm. the non-music. So I really can't think of any time at which it's worked. Billy, I'm i am curious
3: from a perspective of a wrestler, obviously the benefit is to always use the same song because you get the pop of recognition from the crowd but is it tempting? I feel like if I were a worker, I would want to change my music every week because there's so many songs that I, like, I fantasize about coming out to. And, like, oh, that'd be so fun to come out to this song and do this at this part. Or is it, like, have you always had a song in your mind and that's your song no matter what?
5: See, for me, when I was first, like, starting, it was always, like, oh, I don't know what I want to do with my music because there are so many different songs. I was, like, this could work or this could work. But, like, I wanted to be different. I wanted nobody else to have the same song as me or, like, have the chance. But I, mean, I also have, like, my friends, when we go to WCWO, we call it the dub, we'll just randomly come out to whatever song we'll think we'll get a crowd reaction. Like, um, there was a time that me and Alice Crowley, um, we have a tag team called Stupid Youth, and we're like, we're going to come out to Lemonade Mouth for Sean. Or um, me and Wolf tagged up one show, and we are like, he was like, "What song you want to come out to?" And I knew my mom loves um, Weezer, so we came out to a Weezer song. And I came nice. out with her face smiling. I was like, "This is for <laughs> you. I love you." Too. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
5: so a lot of times it was just like for music. I it's so tempting to change it for me. Um, but I I've, I've had the same song since I started, and I just now changed it, and I still have the same intro. But I just changed, like, the rest of it. So it still has that familiar... familiar I can't say words.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what song are you coming out to now?
5: Um, it's a surprise. So you'll see when Ooh. I come back from quarantine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh,
3: okay. What were you coming out to? Because I just watched... Leading up to this, just so I was a little more familiar, I watched You versus Kylie Ray, And I remember she had the Pokemon theme, but I don't remember your song.
5: Um... I come out to Little Monsters. uh, Ah. Yeah. And then it has um, an intro that J-Rose made for me when I first started out.
3: Oh, cool. Uh, Well, speaking of entrances, the angry giant stalks his way down to the ring and Roadblock cheap shots him when he's on the apron. The giant half sells it and half just climbs over the top rope anyway. (laughs) Right. He's like, I'm going to give you the benefit of selling it, but I also just need to get in the ring. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and Roadblock hits some chops. The Giant reverses an Irish whip and hits a clothesline in the corner. He hits another Irish whip and runs into a big boot. Roadblock tries a body slam, but gets clubbered in the back. He tries again, but the Giant blocks it and hits one of his own, which fires up the crowd of Iowans. And uh, just before I forget to mention it, I would like, uh, as a show hosted by two Minnesotans, I want to remind everyone that Iowa stands for idiots out wandering around. Whoa!
6: <laughs> <laughs> Iowa,
4: you've been Moines, put on notice. Yeah.
5: <laughs> um, so I went to Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa, where the show was yeah. for Revolver before, and Mouse hates a drive. And I I don't have to drive, thank God. <laughs> So I just sit in the passenger seat, but we remember the drive just being so boring because it's just cornfields and cornfields and yes. cornfields. Yeah, yeah, you all it to Des Moines and it's just a small city.
3: <laughs> in all actuality, I've had some good times in Iowa and I have some lovely friends who are from there. Uh, it, but you're you hit the nail on the head. The drive through Iowa, it is completely flat. There's nothing to see and it's corn everywhere. It is the most boring state. From the perspective of driving through, it is just the worst.
4: Yeah, and it's like it's a stereotype of Iowa that's like well earned too. It's not. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Giant drop kicks roadblock over the top rope, and roadblock goes through the old announce table, which I presume is left at ringside these days just to be broken by guys going through it yeah. in times like this. I I couldn't tell if that was intended or not. I think it was. I mean, he went out, he went over the top right where the table was. I can't imagine that was a coincidence.
4: Yeah. But I, I would just figure a guy that big, if he accidentally hits a table, is going to break it, too. <laughs> sure. Roadblock gets back in the ring, only to get choke slammed. And
3: that's all she wrote. Giant gets the one, two, three, and demands a microphone. Now, before we get to the promo, uh, what do you think of the short squash match here, Billy?
5: I enjoyed it. I loved this match so, so much. Um,. So i would never seen Roadblock wrestle before, and mm-hmm. I love his entrance. So I was already like sold <laughs> on the before even started.
3: You like that he comes out with the uh like the actual Roadblock, like
5: the little barrier. All yeah, made me so happy. <laughs> I love when people come out with like different gimmicks. Um, like I have the special entrance that I like almost never do until like mouse was like oh, you got to do this is when i come out with aliens and everybody gets really really excited about that but i love when people have different like entrance stuff that makes them special and stand out and like his gear fit him so well which made me happy (laughs) (laughs) big show did the drop kick and i was not expecting that at all because of how big he is and you just browsed through that so quickly. I was like, You're not gonna talk about how impressive this man's drop kick is.
3: I that's a good point. And the only reason I maybe brush past it is that we have seen it very recently before. So like I'm already becoming used. To, uh, it it is amazing and it's already becoming in my mind just a thing that he can do. And I should keep in mind that like it's fucking incredible. It's nuts.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah. And... I was like,
5: this man's drop kick is ten <laughs> times better than me, and he's like probably two hundred pounds heavier.
4: <laughs> and at sold out um two nights before, he did a flying elbow drop from the top rope. Yeah, that was, was nuts. Which was awesome. And it was like it like at this time, it's such an expected thing that he has this athleticism is that the announcers don't even react to it during sold out like there's like oh i guess he missed that elbow (laughs) drop yeah i'm becoming the tony shivani of
3: this podcast where like these things happen and i'm too busy talking about the nwo to even
4: pay
5: attention (laughs) (laughs) i noticed a lot of times during like the entire show they really didn't talk about the match very much they were talking about like different storylines or things that were going to come later in the show like Mm -hmm. which is kind of different from like wrestling now like they're focused on what's going on right then and now
3: and you've hit upon I mean historically that's been one of the biggest criticisms of Nitro as a show and these announcers as as broadcast announcers is they generally were just focusing on whatever was happening at the top of the card to the detriment of everything else that was on the show Mm -hmm. Dave what do you think of the match
4: uh, well, I mean, if if the Giant's gonna get a squash, I like to see him squashing another big man to just emphasize that like he is the biggest of the big men. Like, so him facing other big men and and doing stuff like drop kicking them or like picking him up and choke slamming him is all great because it just emphasizes that he is he's the biggest man in the company. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know, it's it was like two minutes long, and and that's as long as it needs to be. <laughs> Uh, and as long as we get to see him choke slamming a giant guy, I think it's a uh, mission accomplished.
5: I honestly wish there was more squash matches like today.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Like a lot of times there's like the time of matches is the exact same. And I feel like that wears the crowd out or like they expect it to end at some point. I s- wish there was more like unexpected endings, like how the show had or like mm-hmm. the- that just went by really fast.
3: I think what's key, too, is the difference between, like, because they'll still do squash matches now a little bit where they'll have, like, um, I guess the most recent guy I can think of is, like, when Braun Strowman was new and he'd show up and he would face, like, hey, this local talent XYZ, and he'd beat him. Uh, I think what's cool about the squash matches back in this era is, like, he was beating guys who still had a gimmick. Like, Roadblock was a guy who you saw occasionally, and he had a gimmick, and he came out with his little sign. Yeah. And uh, so, like, I'm not saying beating Roadblock, who we've never seen win a match, is a huge deal, necessarily, but it's a lot more fun than, like, he's beating up skinny local guy XYZ. You know? it's it, There's a little more little more meat to it. Yeah. Like, uh, we
4: when see the someone
5: players. they know.
4: Yes. Exactly. Yeah, like we see Ultimo Dragon do later on is an example of how not to do a squash match. <laughs> <laughs> well, now!
2: Looks like the fire-breathing giant is still alive! Oh, yeah. Hogan! I know you're in the building. I know you're here. I want it. Again, because what doesn't kill me pisses me off more. Right here on Nitro tonight, if you've got any guts, if you've got any manhood at all, you step in the ring with a giant. And I'm going to walk away with the world heavyweight championship that's one frustrated giant and
7: that's a man who's calling the number of hulk hogan do you have any courage do you have any manhood you're in the arena if so he wants to face him tonight later on here on nitro don't you dare go away
3: giant uh on the microphone says that the fire breathing giant is still alive he knows that hogan is in the building tonight and he demands another shot as what doesn't kill him only pisses him off more. He goes on a bit, uh, screaming with a big string of drool falling from his mouth, Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, He says if Hogan has any guts or manhood, he'll step in the ring with the Giant tonight, who says that he will walk away with the belt. Now, lately we've really liked the Giant promos, but this particular one for me was a little bit of a return to his older promos, where he's just yelling and growly and doing like a big exaggerated version of what a giant should yell like. Uh, so I'm not saying he did a bad job necessarily. It just, as opposed to the ones recently I've liked, this one just didn't really click for me. Billy, did you like the promo?
5: Um, I didn't think it was terrible, but like a lot of times he stayed like yelling. So when he got to more of like the points that really, really mattered, mm-hmm. he didn't raise his voice where it could have had more of an impact. Like, I'm not the greatest at promos, but when I, like, watch them, I can, like, break it down and be like, oh, this was good or this wasn't so good. Um, but, like, it wasn't the worst, but it wasn't, like, one of those promos that would have stuck with me.
3: Mm-hmm. Dave, what did you think of the Giant here?
4: It seemed like one that would have been fine if he just made one or two sentences, like a brief statement. Like, when you got to the part of what doesn't kill me just pisses me off, if it would have stopped there. It would have yeah. been fine, like short to the point, said what you need to say, um, and I think maybe at this point the issue with the giant is when he kind of is given is given too much time to try to like stretch out promos longer than they have to be. That's kind of when it's struggled, and maybe he just kind of resorts to yelling as like that's an easy emotion to to bring across. But um, yeah, I thought you know if it, they would have cut it shorter, it would have been just fine. Uh, but either way. He got the point across, so you can't be that you can't be too upset about it.
3: After a commercial, Jeff Jarrett comes out to face his tag team partner from last week, Eddie Guerrero, who enters the ring finally in possession of his United States championship belt. After winning both the Battle Bowl ring from DDP last year, only to have that stolen and never return to him before the angle was dropped, and then winning the US title only to have that stolen from him. Uh, it's nice to see Eddie finally get to keep a thing that he won. I was so happy for him. <laughs> uh, the bell rings, and here to call all the action for this one is our own Dave Amantor.
4: Yeah, I w- that's the first thing I noted, too, was that Eddie finally had his championship, which was <laughs> great. And was it was it Tony that was mentioning also the battle Bowl ring issue? Yes. Okay, because yep. he didn't mention the fact that he never got it back. <laughs> that was a detail that didn't need to be uh, didn't need to be explained. So uh, so this match starts off fast as though uh Jared wants to kind of prove that you can keep up with the speed of your opponent. As the two exchange chip tosses, leap frogs, and there's even a monkey flip where Guerrero gets like so much error, he kind of has to correct himself to make sure he lands on his feet because he <laughs> was just like flying across the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, also as far as I know this is non-title I I don't know if they said it outright or not, but I'm pretty sure it's non-title, but I feel like that, that was That's not clarified.
3: Yeah, he didn't I feel like they didn't show the belt off before the match, so I'm inclined yeah. to agree with you.
4: Um Eddie then catches Jarrett with a high elevation drop kick for a two count. Uh during the start of this match, uh Tony and Larry are also going on about the Giants challenge for tonight, which I believe when you were talking about the promo, the idea is that he wants another title match, correct? Yeah, he he
3: specifically says that if they have a match, he will leave the building with the belt.
4: Yeah, which is it's a very I feel like it's a very WCW thing that we hear and see a lot is lots of confusion as far as if matches are for championships or not. Sure. Um but in this case, the Giants suggesting he wants another title match. I actually said that I was fine with Tony and Larry talking about that during the beginning of this match because a surprise world title match later on the show is a big deal, and and that, mm-hmm. that should be talked about. So I did not have a problem with them doing that initially during this match.
3: <laughs> they also talk a little bit about the opening segment, and uh, this is a little bit of a foreshadowing for things we're going to see in future episodes. Larry mentions Randy Anderson having four kids. Oh, uh, so yeah. that's going to come into play in a future storyline. So I just wanted to drop that because it is important that that
4: got mentioned here tonight. OK, um, Tony also says that they have a surprise for the New World Order, which will be unveiled in a few short moments. So <laughs> I assume it's either after this match or they're going to do one of those little split screen things. But the thing that's emphasized here is that the surprise is from the announcers themselves. Yes. In which I was like, okay, that's different. I'm not really sure what kind of surprise they can have for the New World Order, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. Anyway, uh, the two wrestlers in the ring are exchanging pinfall attempts with neither man getting the coveted three count. Uh, Jared is now visibly upset with his inability to put put away Guerrero, and after a suplex, he resorts to choking him on the middle rope. Uh, after the two men knock each other to the mat with a d- double shoulder tackle, Eddie gets onto the offensive, dropping Jarrett with a flying head scissors takedown. He hits a brain buster and signals that it's time for this fro- frog splash, but Eddie takes too much time getting to the top as Jarrett catches him with a superplex. Jarrett then indicates, no, it's actually time for his finisher, and he goes for the figure four. Um, But as he's doing that, we suddenly cut to the aisle where Deborah is pulling Mongo towards the (laughs) ring. And immediately its shades are sold out as Mongo again does not seem enthusiastic about the idea. Uh, When we return to the ring, Guerrero has apparently avoided the figure four or something. We don't know what happened. But now finds himself the recipient of of a a ten count of punches in the corner. Uh, the two men switch positions, so Jarrett's in the corner while uh, Guerro is on the top, uh, as Mago walks up the corner steps with indications that he's about to waffle Eddie with a halberd briefcase. However, the referee pulls Eddie down from the corner, leaving Jarrett's back exposed. Mago then, as intentionally as humanly possible, nails Jarrett in the back as the referee calls for the disqualification. So obviously, like, like what we saw from sold out, uh, he helped Jarrett win his match with the briefcase, and now tonight he's doing the opposite. Um, yeah, and so and this was a pretty, it was a pretty short match. It was I thought it was enjoyable, um, enjoyable match between the two, for what it was.
3: Yeah, it's basically an angle to get over. The idea that Mongo is finally he's not going to be listening to what Deborah tells him to do. He is going to be more about horseman business. So the rest of the horsemen have decided they don't like Jarrett. So he's by gosh, he's going to he's going to go out there and he's going to waffle Jarrett. No more just listening to Deborah, even though she likes Jarrett. Mm. Uh, So I guess, you know, that was a development. I I, I agree with you. I thought this match was was good for what it was, um, which was just setting up that angle the only problem that I have, and it's nothing, you know, the wrestlers did a good job. It's that Eddie won his title thanks to NWO interference. Uh, he's out there in his first match where he actually has the belt, whether it's a, a title defense or not. Mm-hmm. And he, he again wins because of interference that he had nothing to do with. It's nothing that benefits him as a baby face. And it's starting to really become clear that they gave him the title because they're like, this guy's good and he deserves something. But there is absolutely no plan for him to have a story with the belt or do something with the belt. He is right. window dressing in the ongoing uh, soap opera that is the Four Horsemen.
4: Right. Yeah, it's it's obvious. it's clearly being used just as a prop. I mean, neither the championship or the wrestler are really being elevated from being associated with each other.
3: What do you think of the match, Billy?
5: Um, I really enjoyed the match. Um it was kind of unclear to me though about like deborah and that storyline because of i haven't watched as much as you guys um mm-hmm. the commentary says something that just caught me off guard immediately was like um they were like keep deborah in the kitchen i was like what? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
6: oh that was the
5: thing they were allowed to do back then i understand times are different but it's yeah like so weird to hear now because of <laughs> like how our world is and Like the way people
3: are. Yeah, that's my literally my next note says uh Larry says the argument between Mago shows why you should keep women in the kitchen. Uh and that we here at Twenty Years of Nitro would like to say fuck you to Larry on that. (laughs) Uh Uh, and it's it's like I'm suddenly realizing what a minefield the nineties was for this because like on sold out we invited Katie Vella, Uh, she's a referee from the Northeast, she came on and, like, Sold Out had this awful uh, beauty pageant where the whole thing was was to bring on women that they did not feel were beautiful and then make fun of them the whole time. And then there was this line, and there's a few lines later in the show, and I was like, yeah. good God, anytime I invite a woman on the show, I have to be like, you're going to hear some awful shit that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it fucking was 97, and uh, I guess just everyone was a goddamn asshole. <laughs>
5: uh. <laughs> I just remember hearing it and I just looked at
3: my mom and I was like, wow, they were allowed to say that. Tony then reveals his big surprise for the NWO. Uh, he and Larry have finally pulled some strings to get, (laughs) it's taken this long (laughs) for them to get a tape of the end of Starcade, which was a month ago. Right. Uh, They want to finally prove, uh, because they've been on Nitro talking about how Roddy Piper defeated Hulk Hogan at that event. Of course, the NWO have been pretending that Hogan beat Piper. But now we finally have found a tape other than the master copy that Bischoff confiscated. Mm -hmm. So they're going to play this tape and prove that Piper won. Uh, The footage rolls, but before Hogan's arm can fall for the third time, the tape scrambles and cuts off. At that point, Tony gets word from Craig Leathers, the director of Nitro, through his headset. Uh, and I laugh now every time I hear Craig Leathers' name after Magnum CK was on the show and, and made his uh, – he had the idea that Craig Leathers pays Tony Shivani every time that he drops his name. Oh, Because yeah. they do bring up his name an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, but Bischoff – yeah, he gets word from Craig Leathers that Bischoff is in the production truck and pulled the tape from the whatever VCR they have back there. And a moment <laughs> later, Eric appears on stage with the tape in hand. Eric grabs a microphone and warns Tony never to pull a stunt like that again. He rips the tape out of his case and leaves. Uh, he just walks off after pulling pulling the tape apart. And a dejected Tony Schiavone sends us to break. Uh, I thought that was... I honestly thought the acting... It's It's goofy, the angle, but I thought the acting was good. Eric... Seemed legitimately pissed off and Tony seemed legitimately very sad that his tape was
4: his tape was destroyed. So I thought the angle came off pretty good. Uh, I mean, considering they're talking about like this surprise that was going to be coming up. And I d- <laughs> yeah. I just I didn't I could not like remember in the back of my memory like what it was. Very underwhelming surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought it was I imagined in my head that it was going to be like some sort of like old video of of hogan doing something embarrassing or something like that oh Uh, like like the
3: time when we got that roddy piper music video you remember that
4: yeah yeah so i thought it was gonna be something similar like if they found if they have like clips of him from like his three ninjas movie or like some (laughs) other dumb like hollywood movie that he made i thought it was gonna be something like that so like the fact that they were pulling up like Starcade, which is not even the most recent pay-per-view they've had anymore. <laughs> it's like such a long time ago now. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I did, like you were saying, I, I thought that the way that they played it off against each other was really good. Um, I mean, again, this is now, this is like an angle between Bishop and announcers after he did an uh, angle between him and referees. I think they just need, true. they need more wrestlers involved in these things. That's true. Big time. Billy, did
3: you like the angle here?
5: Um, I enjoyed it, but I did not know the tape was from a month ago. I feel like that kind of ruins it for me. I was like, hey, <laughs> what happened a month ago? Right. <laughs> like, I was thinking it was, like, last week or a couple shows ago. No, yeah. this the whole month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think that kind of broke it for me.
3: They say something about how they put in all this work and, like, detective work into getting the tape as if just a million 12-year-olds didn't tape it that night so like anytime my parents let me order a pay-per-view when i was a kid i taped it so i mm-hmm. could watch it whenever i wanted there'd be thousands of tapes of starcade out there it should right. not be
4: that hard
3: for them to find
4: yeah <laughs> no that's absolutely anytime we ordered a pay-per-view it was all about <laughs> you recorded that because you paid money and y- there wasn't like a because the replay you had to pay for that you didn't right. automatically get the replay, so you had to record yeah. it so, so you could like watch it over and over again. So
3: That's why I've seen WrestleMania 9 50 times, even though it <laughs> sucks. It's cause <laughs> that was the that was the one I was allowed to order, and so I had a tape of it, goddammit.
4: Yeah, that that's uh SummerSlam nineteen ninety six was the one I saw <laughs> so many times. The Boiler Room Brawl. I'm very well aware of Imagine
5: having to tape your own shows and pay per views. Like I've never had to have that trouble. I'm just (laughs) logging to a network. Oh, there's the show I want.
3: (laughs) Oh man. You spoiled children.
4: Right. Yeah. So you really you couldn't really do an angle like that and nowadays, like Triple H couldn't like try to cover up (laughs) what happened at a rumble because it's like no, no, no. Everyone has the network now. I'm watching on my phone as we speak. (laughs) They could do
3: a really cool meta angle where, like, if you try to play that event on the network, it glitches out.
5: Oh, that'd be kind of cool.
3: Yeah, if they really wanted to get in and do stuff like that, I think they could do a lot of fun stuff. But that just feels outside the bounds of what their creative team kind of generally comes up with.
4: Right. Uh.
3: Anyway, when we return from break, Tony tells us that on WCW Saturday Night this week, we'll get Harlem Heat versus Public Enemy in a rematch from last week's Saturday Night main event. Also, Luger versus Parka, which is a match. Uh, yeah, I will definitely, I've got those DVDs of 1997 Saturday Night Episodes, and I will definitely be watching Lex Luger versus LaParca. <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll also see Glacier and much, much more. Mm. Virtually ignored by the announcers, Billy Pearl makes his way to the ring. Uh, Dave mentioned uh, earlier the Ultimo Dragon squash that we get where it's just kind of a local guy brought in. Right. That's Billy Pearl. He is an indie guy from the New Hampshire area who was trained by Killer Kowalski, had a good run as a jobber in the WWF from 1993 to 1996. He comes into WCW just for about a week here. He's got this Nitro match, and then they tape a couple others for the B&C shows, uh, and then he's just off to, to various independents. He has a great look for, like, a local jobber. He's got plain red trunks. He comes out with a dopey white jacket. Uh, he's a ginger, which nothing against gingers. It just looks—he just looks like a guy who's out here to lose. He looks like he looks like a guy at a hardware store where you ask him where something is, and then he asks you twenty follow-up questions about what your project is, and you're like, "God damn it, I just want to get down there and get my hammer or whatever." He does not
4: look like a professional fighter. He, he <laughs> looks like sure. he looks like Bob Backlund's really disappointing son. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking of Bob Backlund when this guy was in there. And, and sure. it's just, he, I mean, Billy Pearl looks very unathletic for being in a WSW ring.
3: I, I, He doesn't have a wrestler body, but he has a body where, like, he looks better than most average people. If he were at the beach, you'd be like, oh, that guy works out. You know, I, <laughs> I sure, thought sure. he acquitted himself nicely, and you can tell... Uh, you can see why this guy was a enhancement talent in WWF from 93 to 96. Like, I think uh, he comes off pretty well in the match. But let's go through the match, and we can talk about all that afterward. Uh, they start off in a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, which they keep applied through a series of holds and reversals until Pearl hits a dropkick on Dragon, uh, showing impressive chain wrestling skills for a guy who, like I said, spent the last three years... Really just seeing the lights on uh, Superstars and all those shows. Of course, uh, right as I finish typing my note praising him, they have some kind of miscue where they end up just standing in the middle of the ring staring at each other for like two seconds. Uh, but it's actually Pearl who decides to do something about it. Like they're just standing there and he he's like, well, I got something is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. So he pushes Dragon into the ropes and then tries a back body drop. Dragon, however, flips over him and lands on his feet for his patented four kick combo. He follows that up with a scoop slam and a standing elbow drop for two. Dragon misses a handspring back elbow in the corner, and Pearl hits a scoop slam and then heads to the top rope. He comes down with a crossbody attempt, but Dragon drop kicks him in midair. Uh, and I always love pointing out that the drop kicking guy out of midair coming off the top rope is one of my favorite spots. I don't know what it is about that spot. I just love it. I love drop kicking someone coming off the top dragon hits a fall away slam and then a moonsault uh tony tries to show off here and calls it an acai moonsault which it is not it's just a normal off the top moonsault yeah but as ultimo dragon's real name is acai it also technically is an also an (laughs) acai (laughs) moonsault he's both correct and wrong at the same time which is impressive
4: he's technically correct which is the best kind of correct (laughs)
3: <laughs> Dragon then hits the tiger suplex for the victory. Uh, it you know it wasn't amazing or anything. It was it was a squash and uh, just kind of there to show some you know to highlight Ultimo Dragon. Uh, but I thought it was surprisingly good when I saw like it was just Billy Pearl who I've never heard of and will never see again. Uh, I thought it was better than maybe I was expecting. Billy, what'd you think?
5: Um, I think the match was pretty good they did have like that one mess up where they both just stood in the middle of the ring which kind of like um sucked me out of it for a second but they Mm -hmm. got right back into it um i thought they had a really good back and forth in the beginning with like the chain yeah Um, and then i also agree like i love when someone comes off the top rope and gets like hit with a kick or a drop kick and stuff like that it always makes me super excited i'm like ah. Um, I also thought his um, finish was so pretty. I was like, ah, I love. So like everybody compliments me on my bridging German, but like I always look at other people's and I'm like, they're so much prettier. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Dave, how'd you like it?
4: Uh, well, I I think something that you you do learn when it comes to professional wrestling is that smaller wrestlers they can't they're not able to squash guys like in seconds, like big wrestlers can their squashes still have to be like two or three minutes long. Um, Sure.
3: He, yeah, he gives more offense to the other guy than like, if, uh, if it was Scott Steiner out here with Joe local,
4: right? (laughs) old Joe local. (laughs) It's me, Joe local. (laughs) Um, but no, but like, uh, it gave ultimate dragon opportunity to show off his whole, um, array of like his patented moves and things like that, and Billy Pearl sells really well, I think. Um, and Which I think I felt like that's kind of what you were alluding to about like why he was such good enhancement talent, is he makes everyone's offense look really good. Um, I thought at times it kind of struggled when Pearl kind of had the opportunity to go on the offense, mm-hmm. um, but no, I mean I think I think it was a perfectly a perfectly good squash match. Um, not exactly sure. Um, where they're going right now with Ultimo Dragon because he just lost the Cruiserweight Championship. And I t- yeah. they, the announcers did not give much of an indication that he's immediately the number one contender right now. So it'll be interesting well, it, to see what they do with him. And it's important to remember that he had the belt and he was not
3: supposed to face Dean Malenko at that Clash of the Champions. He was supposed to face Jushin Liger, oh, yeah. who had the visa problems. So the match with, with Malenko got thrown together last minute, and then they also decided to give the belt to Malenko. So whatever Dragon is doing now, it's not necessarily what was planned for him a few weeks ago. Oh, so okay. I definitely think he's in a holding pattern until they figure out, okay, we decided kind of last minute to take the belt off him. What are we going to do instead? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it makes perfect sense that maybe his, his, next, few, you know, his next angle is not ex- exactly clear right now. Dragon celebrates with Sonny Ono before Tony sends it to Mean Gene Okerlund.
7: Mean Gene Okerlund here on Nitro.
8: I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, ladies and gentlemen, here in the heartland of America, please join me
7: in welcoming the Four Horsemen. I wonder if all four will come out, you know, uh, we've... Supposed to have had that interview a couple of weeks ago, and Benoit never did show up. Well, the McMichaels may be the marriage counselor by now. Benoit didn't show up Saturday night for a six-man tag. He and Woman did not go to Green Bay. They were a no-show there. All right, Gene. Chris Benoit, Woman, Steve and Deborah McMichael, Arn Anderson,
8: and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, just a couple of weeks back, this reporter conducting an interview, and honestly, i thought the four horsemen were going to crumble i thought they were going to split and that was going to be the end of a dynasty however in just a couple of short weeks things have turned around and i know for a fact rick flair nobody could be happier than the nature boy mean
1: Woo! Gene. yes sir we're in iowa are not we where's dan gable when we need him he won't show up I got the enforcer, that's right. No Dan Gable, no Steiners when the horsemen are getting along. Now, last week, they walked out without me. Chris Benoit, I can't blame you for your decision in love with woman, oh woman. Won't you marry me now? And woman, you finally made the right choice in manhood, baby. Woo! With Chris Benoit. All right. Deborah Gale, you'll have to do as Mongo says because we've got to coexist. Ladies and gentlemen, you keep your mouth shut, fat boy. We are the horsemen. Woo! We are reunited and we'll feel oh so good.
8: Arn Anderson, you're the backbone, you're one of the founding fathers of this great group.
7: The fact of the matter is, Jeff Jarrett, I know in Tennessee they don't speak English very well and they probably don't understand English well, but Mongo sent you a message in a universal language tonight. You know where you stand and it's not a horseman. Now, Benoit, last week you did a beautiful thing. We said go out and tear Sullivan up. Pal, you did it. That was a page out of the horsemen of the 80s. So now, Just when they thought the horsemen were reeling and rocking, we're back on a roll. All
8: right, Mongo, uh, couldn't help but notice your presence. You weren't in the Super Bowl last night, but you were a big hit here tonight. Let me tell you what, pal.
2: Did you see that nail I drove into Jeff Jarrett's coffin with this thing? Shut up, you zipperheads! I'm trying to talk. The horsemen are united. I'm sorry, Deborah. that's just the way it's gotta be. Very quickly, Deborah.
8: I just
9: want to say, you know, Chris, I've been pulling for you to
5: be a four horseman 100%.
8: Thank you, uh, Chris Benoit.
2: Sullivan, don't say you weren't told. It's my way or the hard way. Not only did you find out what that was about, but you were beaten at your own game. Sullivan, when are you going to get it? Let go. It's time to let go. I'm beating you mentally, I'm beating you physically, and I'm beating you spiritually. You're not going to win, Sullivan. I've taken everything I've wanted to take, when I've wanted to take it. Sullivan, I'm far beyond beating someone with a chair. But there was a point that had to be proven, and it was tonight I'm going to prove another point. I don't need anyone backing me. I'm going to the ring alone. I don't want anyone backing me. All right, uh, woman, any words
5: from
9: you? I'm just a very happy woman, Jean.
8: You look contented. You'd understand that if you spent any time in Iowa. Yes, and Deborah?
5: I think we're ready to leave now.
8: Okay. uh, there's the door. Thank you very much. Apparently, there is a meeting of the minds here with the four horsemen, and especially Deborah and woman. We are live on TNT, don't go away, more Nitro, right around the corner.
3: Gene brings out the four horsemen. Uh, We get all of them this week, no mysterious absences that they can pick apart and argue over. Gene asks if the horsemen are truly finally back all on the same page. Ric Flair asks where Dan Gable is uh, in order to get a cheap hometown reference pop. Uh, If you're wondering, Dan Gable was an NCAA and Olympic gold medalist amateur wrestler who by 1997 was in his final season as the head wrestling coach at the University of Iowa where his teams won 21 Big Ten championships and 15 NCAA titles. Uh, And if if anyone out there hasn't put it together, he is also uh, the namesake for WWE wrestler Chad Gable. Uh, that's that's not Chad Gable's real name, and when he was mm. choosing his gimmick name, as an homage, he chose the last name as Gable because, of course, he he's a big amateur wrestler and fan of of the sport. So, uh, Dan Gable for amateur wrestling—that's like a big famous name that certainly the the folks of Iowa would be well familiar with. Gotcha. Flair says that he can't blame Chris Benoit and Woman for falling in love, and he has Deborah to please start listening to Mongo. <laughs> He declares the horsemen as being reunited and says that it feels so good. Arn Anderson says that Jeff Jarrett is from Tennessee, where they don't speak English very well, but says that the message that Mongo sent Jarrett earlier is in the universal language. Chris Benoit gets a thumbs up from Arn for tearing up Sullivan last week, and Mongo says that he drove a nail into Jarrett's coffin earlier tonight, and tells Deborah that whether she likes it or not, the Horsemen are united, and that's the way it's got to be. Even Deborah is trying to get in on the rah-rah Horsemen team tonight. She claims that she's been pulling for Chris to be a Horseman 100%, which is nice of her to say, I guess, because Chris has been a Horseman since long before she even made her debut in WCW. Right. (laughs) Benoit tells Sullivan it's either going to be Chris's way or the hard way. He asks when Sullivan is going to let go because uh, because Benoit has now beaten Sullivan mentally, physically, and spiritually. Benoit goes on to say that he proved his point against Sullivan, and he is going to prove another point tonight by going to the ring alone without any backup. Uh, that's probably not a very smart thing to announce when you're in a blood feud. <laughs> right. Like the guy you're, the guy who hates you is in a faction with a bunch of other people. Maybe don't mention to him that you're going to be out there all by yourself. Right. You're. I'm going to let my guard down even for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Woman says that she's happy, and Deborah says that they are ready to. <laughs> Deborah just says, "Okay, we're ready to leave now." Right. <laughs> <laughs> And Gene is just like, okay, and so they all leave. Uh, notably, Deborah doesn't stay back to say anything mean about woman this week, which was a nice change of pace. Uh, so basically, the whole point of the promo was, hey, we've had our problems recently. We know it was kind of going on and on, but everything is fine now. Uh, I liked that they were out there hopefully wrapping a bow on their angle. It was almost like a tease of the horsemen breaking up, but it seems like it's it's wound up with them back on the same page uh, so everything was good, although I did think that when it got to Benoit, he started talking too much and, and kind of stumbled his way back through it. Another guy who recently has been better on promos but took a step back this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, just maybe, the Horsemen in Turmoil stuff is finally ending. Um, I'm curious, as someone who has not been watching months of the Horsemen bickering with each other, Billy, what was your impression? Did you like this segment?
5: See, like, it reminded me of, like, IFHY is, like, us hanging out as a group. Like, that's what it reminded me of, is, like, us a little bickering here and there, but us, like, working together as a unit.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: it also threw me off, though, that they just kept calling the girl woman. I was like, what's her name? <laughs> like, I had no idea what's going <laughs> on, I was like, yeah. what's her name? <laughs> they just kept saying woman, and I was like, is that, is that her name? <laughs> I figured that out later when she came out um ah. but um <laughs> i also so i was talking i think it was to jonathan i was like like rip Flair in the suit doesn't bother me but i'd rather him being gear, like his robe and like that because that's what i'm used to seeing and then right <laughs> and that made him very upset he's like you're not enjoying it for what it is
3: <laughs> <laughs> well Flair uh right now is he's rehabbing a torn rotator cuff so he's a few months away from being able to to come out with the robe and the style and the profile and all that stuff, so yeah, that's why he's he's been wearing a lot of Cosby sweaters on to <laughs> a show yes. lately. Yep, Dave, what do you think here? Are you happy to see that the Horsemen may be putting this all behind them?
4: <laughs> I just, I, it just, it feels like they're just kind of hammering it, like really, like making it very obvious, like. Yeah, it's definitely fine. It's going to stay fine forever now. Forever. (laughs) It's always going to be fine. And like you said, the idea of Benoit being like, oh, I'm going to go to the ring by myself, in which I'll have no protection. Also, Sullivan, here are a list of all my weaknesses. Don't use them (laughs) against me. Um, Here's
3: the time I'll be in the parking lot alone walking to my car. (laughs) Right. Here's where I keep the spare key to my house.
4: And, I mean... We, so we now have had four, four different Falls Count Anywhere matches between Kevin Sullivan and Benoit. And mm-hmm. and it's just like, you, you I just hope it's over, but just the feeling you get is that it's not over at this point because, he, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. like, it's like Benoit is gloating a little bit too much about this feud mm-hmm. for it to really be over. You know, it's like he's egging on Sullivan still. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, it's unfortunate from the fan standpoint because we've clearly seen this played out now. Like, we've seen yeah. them wrestle as much. Like, I mean, where else do you go from a false Kenan where, uh, in an era in which, like, you barely ever saw cage matches on, on TV? Yeah. You know, it's like that would be the next step. And I just don't feel like that they're going to go to that step. So I'm hmm. not really sure about that. But, um, and also, I, I just kind of feel like that, um, that that cause Flair's just been out of the game for so much now. He's just showing up to do these promos and he just kind of feels like he's on autopilot for these promos. Like Yeah, that's true. There's a We've lot We've heard of, him
3: use that reunited and feel so good. We've heard him use that line at least two times before that I can think of. Yeah, and, uh, uh, so and uh, yeah, he's definitely just kind of cruising by and he
4: d- and does the uh, the woman a oh, woman, won't you marry me? He says that yes. a lot. So it's a lot it's just kind of a lot of the same things that he says. And I was just kind of thinking, like, man, I just wish that he was wrestling again because I feel like it's just like WCW is so much better when Ric Flair is around and doing stuff rather than showing up in his Cosby sweaters and his suits and things like that.
3: (laughs) After another commercial, another new face walks to the ring. It is St. Louis born Harley race trained Ron Powers. He is an indie guy uh, based in the Midwest whose most notable matches before this include a pair of WCW tryout matches in 1991 and a tour of New Japan in 1992 where he was mostly in tag matches along with his partner Tony Holm, a.k.a. Ludwig Borga. Uh, He has the difficult task tonight of defeating Lex Luger and out comes Flexi Lexi to a good reaction here to call all the action is a man whose 1991 tour of New Japan led to him being permanently banned from the Empire of the Sun Dave Amantorp.
4: <laughs> this is the first I'm learning about this
3: yeah you're banned from Japan Dave. also Sorry.
4: I also I <laughs> deny everything <laughs> um, when you when you sent me like the uh, you messaged me the notes of like these are the matches that I'll be um, doing the play-by-play for um, yeah mines it just said Luger powers and i assumed it was going to be jim powers right um which would have been way better than what we got
3: (laughs) not his his illegitimate brother
4: ron powers yes no we got (laughs) we got his bigger (laughs) dumber brother ron (laughs) um ron ron powers is big like that's undeniable he's like i think he's slightly taller than lex Luger, but he has the advantage the disadvantage of being also a terrible wrestler um anyway i didn't make any notes for this because it's one minute and ron powers uh submits to the torture rack and wasn't even long enough for luger to really even sell which tells you how short this match is because luger sells for everyone <laughs> that was my one note
3: was that lex loves to sell an entire match and then win at the end and he didn't sell anything in this one so <laughs> there was really nothing here uh, so my only question really is, Billy, how did Ron Powers' gear fit? Did it look good?
5: <laughs> See, I didn't make any notes about that, so it makes me pretty sure that it didn't bother me and it didn't, all all it says on here was, like, Luger is a beast. <laughs> that is my notes. <laughs> so, like, on, when he, so why does he look so sweaty? That was what bothered me. So,
6: like, I was like, what?
5: What is is he just covered in oil? Like what is happening?
3: <laughs> well, he is covered in oil and uh there may be f- things that have made him very muscular that maybe don't give him a lot of cardio. <laughs> <They're right.
4: laughs> no, no, he's very he is a very, very lathered up man. I mean, he now has um Unfortunately, we don't get to see him tonight, but he has new competition in the lathered up department when it comes to one Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Uh, yes, that's true. Because he uses baby oil like he is being paid by the bottle. But uh, <laughs> No, no, he definitely is.
5: Me When I see people who look greasy, I'm like, if I tried to wrestle you, I feel like I'd just be like touching a slipping slide. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maybe that was Ron Powers' problem. Maybe he was a good wrestler who just couldn't get a handle. On old Lex Luger. <laughs> He's like, if I could just get a firm grip <laughs> on this man. <laughs> we then go back to the ring where mean Gene Okerlund is ready to interview Luger.
8: As you know, the total package Lex Luger has been one of the great stars here in World Championship Wrestling. He has been the backbone since this offensive has been mounted by the NWO. He has stood up proudly for what World Championship Wrestling stands for. Now there's another man that is doing much the same. I've got to give credit to the Giant. You've seen him. After being thrown out in his ear by the NWO.
2: I think it was a little bit of a mutual decision. The NWO's got a big problem. He's about 7 foot 1, 435 pounds, and I've seen him angry. I've seen him frustrated. And they've got trouble, and it's great to watch for once instead of experience it firsthand, because I've been in the ring with the Giant. And we've had our battles, but sometimes there's a little mutual respect there in between ya. God only knows I've made my mistakes, but WCW has to start opening that door up. We've got to start trusting somebody. Because the NWO is running roughshod over us. And I for one am sick and tired of it. So will I befriend a foe call the giant? Will I open the door of WCW? Stick that big size 21 in the door, cuz I'm all ears.
8: All right, it appears to me, gentlemen, the likes of Lex Luger, the giant. Now perhaps some solidarity in the movement of WCW, the four horsemen included, and who knows how many others. It is very interesting indeed. We have got more exciting Monday night tour coming up. Tony, you and Larry have got to be excited about the rest of this card.
7: You're not kidding, Gene, it could be the giant and Hogan later on accept the challenge we'll find out and more live from we're rocking rolling on Nitro live. Back with two after
3: this. Gene questions Lex about the giant and the giant or excuse me and Lex says that the NWO now has a big problem because the angry giant is a formidable foe. Lex says that he's made mistakes in his past but WCW has to start trusting each other and they have to start standing up to the NWO. Lex then says, uh, and I just quoted this exactly because I thought his phrasing... uh, Lex Luger's phrasing is always interesting to me. He said, Will I befriend a foe called the Giant? When I open the door of WCW, stick that big size 21 in the door, because I'm all ears. So I I guess he wants to be friends with a giant. That's what I took from it. But as always, his syntax is just
4: extremely hard to parse. It's like when you put his words down on paper, it's like he's a <laughs> postmodern <laughs> version of himself.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I just remember listening to his promo. And I was like, I don't know if he's trying to, like, read off a script or is this just him really bad at English.
3: <laughs> oh, that's unfiltered Lex. That. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and when you talk about, like, the big muscle-bound wrestlers of, like, the 80s and early 90s, like, he he's not alone. Most wrestlers sound like this. The
3: interesting thing about Lex is that all those guys like to scream and shout all their nonsense, but Lex gives, like, a more... He, he, And he was a college athlete. He's a college-educated man. He sounds more cerebral. He's talking in, like, a a quieter tone. But just when you actually listen to what he's saying, it's nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's absolute garbage. (laughs) And it's one of the things I love about him the most. I want Lex Luger to never change. Right. (laughs) After commercial, it's now the top of the hour. So we get Pyro, and Tony is now joined by Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan. Heenan and Tanay give their thoughts on the tag team championship situation from the top of the show, and we see some replays of Randy Anderson getting fired and the Steiners relinquishing their belts. Then the amazing French Canadians make their way to the ring. Uh, They would very much appreciate if the hillbillies in the crowd would stand up for the Canadian national anthem, uh, which of course is cut off partway through by the horseman theme, and out come the Canadians' opponents, the team of Arne Anderson and Steve Mongo McMichael. Mark Curtis calls to the bell, and Arn is immediately double-teamed by the Canadians, uh, who dump him over the top rope to the outside, where Colonel Robert Parker lays into him with some kicks. Mongo tries to intervene, which only draws the attention of Mark Curtis, allowing this dastardly attack to continue. Arne fights back with some strikes, but he's in the Canadians' corner, and they are able to subdue him and make a tag, allowing for a few seconds of tandem stomping. The Canadians hit some more double team spots, finishing with uh, the spot they do where Jacques or where Pierre slams Jacques onto their opponent, mm-hmm. uh, which always looks pretty cool. I like that since since Pierre is such a big guy. Uh, Pierre then gets a clothesline for a two count. The Canadians try a double stun gun, making quick tags back and forth, and continuing to dominate Anderson. Eventually, Oulette gives Arne an atomic drop, and Arne stumbles forward into the turnbuckle, but as Oulette approaches him from behind, Arne is able to sneak an elbow up and catch the Canadian flush in the jaw. Pierre goes down, and Arne tries to crawl over to Mongo for the tag. Pierre makes it to Jacques first, and he rushes in, but he's not in time to stop the hot tag, and in comes McMichael. It's impressive that despite how rarely Mongo wrestles, and how bad at it he normally is, the crowd completely buys him as a complete badass. Like, yes. when he's tagged in, they give that reaction of, like, oh, shit, you're in for it now. Like, right. they believe in Mongo 100%.
5: I think it's because of, like, how he plays to the crowd. So yes. Like, he, when he walks in, people believe. Even though it might not be true, He's he might not be the best wrestler. But when he like sets in the ring and he'll give people a look and they're like, Oh, it's about to go down.
3: Yes. Mongo is the epitome of fake it till you make it. Like <laughs> he's doing all of the character things so well that I think to to a lot of people it would hide that like wrestling wise he's still got a long way to go.
4: Yeah, he definitely he exudes confidence and I feel like as a crowd you've recognized that like this is a guy that is, like, he he, I th- he does have a good presence around him. Yeah. Um, he, well, it helps that, sure, he's
3: new at wrestling. He's very green. But he's a Super Bowl champion. The man is confident in himself and his abilities. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the kind of guy who's like, yeah, I'm not good at wrestling yet. But, like, right. I'm a Super Bowl champion. I'm going to figure it out.
4: Yeah. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Whether right, that's it's... a deserved <laughs> confidence. <laughs> Whether it's deserved confidence or not, it's easy to understand where he's coming from like on a human level. You yeah. know? Mongo hits some clotheslines and then clips Pierre's knees. He takes out Jacques with a punch to the gut and then back body drops Pierre. He then press slams Jacques into Pierre, but Pierre manages to just catch his partner and set him on his feet. Mongo follows by clotheslining both men to the mat. He grabs both of them by the hair and gives them a double noggin knocker. Parker then throws in the Canadian flag, but Mark Curtis sees it, and as the ref stops per- and as the ref stops Pierre from using the foreign object, Deborah hands Mongo his the Halliburton case, and Mongo waffles Jacques in the back and picks up the win. Uh, Bobby says Mongo is getting really good, and though I would not actually agree with that, uh, I think that this is like a couple weeks in a row going back to uh, I forget if it was the Clash of the Champions or, or Nitro last week. But there's been a couple times where Mongo has been in the ring, and I keep expecting a train wreck. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a lot of little things that are problematic. I think the main thing you notice with him is his... If you watch his feet, they're always... He's never exactly sure where he should be standing or when he should start moving forward. Right. Uh, so his his footwork is like, got a long way to go. But he's, he's doing a lot better from, like, the... Every time he comes to the ring, I'm going to get an embarrassing gif of a botch and put it on Twitter and everyone's going to laugh at him. Like, he is legitimately come a long way. Uh, I'm curious, as the only one of us three to lace up a pair of boots, Billy, what did you think of Mongo? What's your impression of him as an in-ring competitor right now?
5: See, I feel like it was someone I can, like, work with. Like, it's not going to be impossible to have a match with him. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, like, one of those where it's like, oh, I want to wrestle this person. But you can tell that he's putting in the work to make people notice him, which I think is always a notable thing. Like, it, as long as you're working towards a goal, you not, you probably won't be the greatest when you first start out, or you won't be the greatest at where you're at. But like, as long as you're working to be better, that's always like a thing that I think makes a good professional wrestler. You're always working to be better.
3: Dave, what do you think of the uh, tag match here in Mongo
4: in particular? Um, I honestly was not paying a lot of attention to this match. Um, (laughs) to be, I'm going to make you feel
3: really guilty about that in, in like two minutes. Okay, cool. Looking forward to it. Uh,
4: I, I mean, I kind of feel like that the, that's kind of the reaction I get nowadays. Uh, whenever I see the amazing French Canadians on, um, Mm -hmm. just because sure. And and not particularly about, like, the way they wrestle, because I feel like they're one of the better tag team wrestlers uh, to, or tag teams, because they do a lot of, like, really good, interesting tag team, like, double team moves.
3: But and it, they've been a team for a very long time.
4: Yeah. But it's just, yeah. like, when I see them, I know it's – because there's nothing that advances with, with their characters whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And whoever right. they're facing – and the results will be weird. Like, they'll just randomly beat Harlem Heat. And then it will amount to nothing. Uh, so yeah. their matches generally do not amount to anything later on. So whenever I see him in the ring, I'm like, it's going to be kind of a forgettable segment. Um, yep. That's true. But I also think it's, I think it's important that they, they need to get Mike McMichael in the ring more. They need him to wrestle more or as he's not going to improve. Yeah. Cause there was, there were months on end in which he was not ever having matches on Nitro and, And and as we know, there's not a ton of house shows that they're doing right now. And when they are, I don't think McMichael is on those at all. So I think it's important for him to go in there, especially like, yeah, he should team with Arn Anderson or team with these other guys that are veterans that can help him out. Um, So I, and I do agree. I feel like that it's, I mean, it's not the highest compliment, but it's like he was less of like an eyesore or like an obvious weakness of the match. Um, yeah. And and I kind of I, I hope I hope I mean, also knowing how the future folds unfolds, like I hope he improves. But <laughs> Well, on the other side of the coin
3: from the neophyte Mongo, we have Arn Anderson, who is recognized as a fantastic worker, one of the best of all time, who has been a cornerstone of the four horsemen and WCW for almost the entire history of both of those two organizations Mm -hmm. and this throwaway match on nitro is unfortunately the last match of his main run as a professional wrestler. Uh, He will technically come back. He'll come back and do two very short matches in the year 2000 uh, that are more angles that, that have to do with the uh, David and Ric Flair feud. Um, So, you know, technically it's a match with a finish and, you know, it's in the record book, but like, all intents and purposes, this is Arn Anderson's last real match. Is this match? Um, so, I think we've said all we can say about this match. But just as like a as a tribute to Arn, like just one of the, he's been such a treat. I know he will continue to be a character on Nitro, uh, but I thought we need to take a moment and just recognize all that he's done because Arn Anderson is incredible. Uh, I always liked him, but doing this podcast and watching a lot of this for the first time.
4: I've come to realize like just what a, a real treasure that guy was. Yeah, and his and his promo work is just like considering that he was like next to Ric Flair one like one of the greatest mm-hmm. promo deliverers in the history of wrestling. Like he could easily have been like, well, yeah, you're not gonna compare when Ric Flair is around, but like. He was still one of the best, and and one of the best at the time, and even now, like I mean, AEW has him around so he can do promos because he's that good at promos. Yeah. And there's just like he has such an uh, an earnest or honesty to his promos too. Yes. and and yeah. when he does, um, like when he gives like analogies and things like that, his analogies actually make sense too, which is like a uh, rarity in. Mid 90s wrestling like it makes sense what he's tried to depict but yeah that's that yeah just a random match against amazing French Canadians how about that
3: yeah yeah sometimes you get uh, like you know we had Magnum CK on and sometimes you get like a big event and a big goodbye and you get to give a cool promo and sometimes your back's just bothering you and you think you know you have a match and you go get it looked at and you think you're gonna just take some time off and and you never really get back in there it's kind of crazy how that all works. I I feel like I really brought us down there for a minute. I, was, I I said that and I was like, "Oh, that's a bummer. That's really sad." Uh, but he he really is like, uh, and this is probably in the zeitgeist right now because the uh the documentary that's been running on ESPN. But he is truly the Scottie Pippen of wrestling, like a guy who will mm-hmm. never be maybe appreciated as much as he should because he was next to goddamn Michael Jordan or in this case Ric Flair. You know? Yeah. After some commercials, Lee Marshall is on the road for his road report this week coming to us from Memphis, Tennessee, where people are very excited for next week's Nitro, which will be coming live from Grind City. Marshall says that he's at a Nitro party at Blues Legend BB King's Club on Beale Street. And of course, it wouldn't be a road report without some random inside jokes or names that he throws out. Uh, So he invites Memphis residents Steve Cropper and Donald Duck Dunn. (laughs) I had to Google who the hell they were. It uh, turns out they both played in Booker T and the MGs, which was a house band that was uh, Records, a legendary Memphis blues uh, uh, label. They had like a house band that played with like a lot of backing. They were the backing band for a lot of acts. Anyway, that's who those guys are. Who gives a shit? Just something that I <laughs> I, I googled to see who it was. Uh, Marshall also says that he tried to tour Graceland, but it smelled so bad because of a hunkah hunka burning weasel.
4: <laughs> Sometimes he would get through it without laughing. Some, some, so bad. Sometimes his effort is just not there. <laughs> uh,
3: Bobby's attempt at a comeback is no better, as he says that Lee's actual last name is Clampett, which is the last name from the family of Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> I guess he's just calling him a hillbilly. Okay. Uh, Tony's response to that is just to say, completely deadpan, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> And Bobby says, well, neither is Burning Weasel, and hey, everyone's correct. <laughs> I, I agree with everyone. <laughs> right. None of that was funny.
4: Yeah, when I heard those like just obscure names, I was like, Yeah, to look those up later. <laughs> 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 but yeah, Hunkah Hunkah Burning Weasel, that's gotta be oh. if we if we had ranked his weasel jokes. That's gotta yeah. be near the bottom. That's such a low effort. That's a low effort.
3: I hope it's the I hope it's the bottom. If it gets <laughs> right. the worse than that, like what can you imagine? <laughs> the outsiders then come out along with six and their reclaimed WCW tag belts. The NWO music now contains sound bites of Eric Bischoff's "We Are in Control" speech from Sold Out. Uh, I couldn't quite tell if they were playing those sound bits live, like the way they were doing the loser at sold out. It, sometimes it sounded like a guy was just jamming on buttons uh-huh. at random. Sometimes it seemed like it might be an official part of the song. I couldn't really tell. Uh, as they head to the ring, though, the camera finds a young man with NWO shaved into the back of his head. Uh, or more accurately, I should say, he had everything in the back of his head shaved except for the letters NWO written out in hair. Oh, gotcha. I thought it was disgusting. <laughs> Did either of you guys notice that?
5: I saw that. I was like, I don't understand how people just des- destroy their hair like that. <laughs> like, I went to school with someone who got a smiley face in the back of their head. And I was uh. like, I, 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 why? <laughs> why?
4: <laughs> <laughs> just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it.
3: Yes. Their opponents tonight are The Extreme, a.k.a. Uh, the Extremists. That's the name this tag team normally has out on the indies. They are Dangerous Devin Storm and Ace Darling. Uh, Devin Storm we've seen twice on Nitro before, back in episodes 23 and 24, Mm -hmm. which were in February of last year. Uh, We mentioned, of course, at the time that he'll be a major character eventually on Nitro, as he is Crowbar later in his career. Uh, I asked him, actually, about, on Twitter, I asked him about all the bouncing around that he did, because he was in ECW, he was in WWF. Uh, Later this year, 97, he'll be in WWF. Uh, here, he's in WCW for a couple matches, and uh, he explained that at the time that they did this match, he was, uh, they were both, him and Ace Darling, were college students, so they were trained wrestlers who were in college, they were getting their um, degrees, he, he got his degree in physical therapy, so wrestling was just like a part-time deal that they did, and so they kind of came and went as they pleased, and, uh, you know, they had a good relationship after he had done the earlier matches, so when they needed a team for the Outsiders to squash on Nitro. They gave him a call, and him and Ace Darling got brought in. Uh, Ace Darling, who is like Storm from New Jersey, was also trained by Iron Mike Sharp. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Billy, I feel like I have to ask you every match now. What do you think of their gear? Because I actually really liked their gear.
5: Oh, I – Okay. One of the things I loved when I was growing up watching indie shows was the tassels. So yes. when they came out with the tassel pants, I was like, yes, I love them. <laughs> 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 so their gear 100% approved by me.
3: <laughs> uh, well, here to call all the action of the outsiders versus the extreme is our own extreme outsider, Dave Amentorp.
4: Yeah, I also am a big fan of the tassels. So I, I yeah, I think their I think their gear is pretty, pretty extreme. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded so he sarcastic. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so Scott Hall starts off the match by attacking Ace Darling before the bell, and generally just beat him around the ring for a while. Um, after hitting a fallaway slam, he picks up Darling and he m- forces him to tag in Devin Storm whom he immediately throws into the ring. I love, and that's the thing you used to see a lot of times in the old squashes
3: from, like, old NWA and stuff, when the team would force the guy to go tag in the other guy. Like, okay, I beat the crap out of you. I want to beat the crap out of that guy now. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's such a fun touch.
5: I think it makes the heels appear more as bullies, and I feel like that's always, like, a good touch for, like, the crowd relating to the story more.
4: Yeah, I agree. And also, I just like the idea that, like, Devin Storm just accepted the tag just, like, unaware of what was happening (laughs) or was about to happen to him. So he's immediately uh, slingshotted, slingshot into the ring. Uh, Hall then tags in Kevin Nash, and Hall sits on the corner turnbuckle while Nash drops Storm with the sidewalk slam. Uh, Nash then tags Hall back in, and he takes his place on the corner turnbuckle as well Uh, as Scott Hall hits the outsider's edge. Um, He then plants a boot on Storm's chest for the pinfall victory, as this was uh, just over like a minute long. So that was a lot of detail for a very short match.
3: (laughs) There was one little little thing that I really liked. There was a part where Hall was just like manhandling Storm, Mm -hmm. and uh, Storm just kind of out of nowhere decides to throw some very weak punches into Hall's gut that Hall just no-sells. And I love it's like such a it it really shows that Devin Storm like got why he was there and what he was supposed to do, because he's like, I'm going to throw these punches. I know the other guy's not going to sell it at all. I'm going to look incredibly weak and lame. Uh, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I yeah. just like I was just thinking like, wow, what it it's so cool to see somebody be so unselfish and just get like, I know I'm here. Uh, I'm just going to you know, I'm going to make these guys look like a million bucks. So I thought that was really, really cool.
5: I wish more people did that nowadays. Like, not everyone's going to have to be the superstar. Somebody has to be the one to take the pin. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are trying to, like, you want to be the one that's special, but you have to understand that sometimes you can't always be in the spotlight.
3: I think it's also, in, like, people, more people should realize that, like, hey, maybe, you know, the the spot of the person who's really, really, competent and they're not going to get in there and botch anything but they're always going to be losing and making the other person look good that's job security like maybe i'm not going to be you know the star always on top but like i'm gonna i'm gonna get work forever because people know whoever they're trying to push i'm gonna make that guy or girl look like a million bucks you know Mm -hmm. as we head to break nash puts hall in a friendly headlock and hall pretends that he's getting choked uh it's just I just note it because it seems like they're having so much fun. They're just out there doing whatever the hell they want because it's WCW and the inmates run the asylum, and they're just having a blast,
4: right? Because it's also based on a true story. <laughs> they get to do whatever they want.
3: When we come back from break, it is time for Kevin Sullivan versus Joe Gomez, and now I feel like I'm the one being choked. Ha ha ha! That's where the punchline was. <laughs> <laughs> Gomez is out first, and then Sullivan and Jimmy Hart. Sullivan is pissed and ditches his robe on the way and takes it right to Gomez in the ring with punches. Gomez fights back and gets dumped to the outside. The Taskmaster runs him into the rail and then grabs a chair and tosses it at him before rolling him back in the ring. Uh, Scott Dickinson definitely saw all that, but he is going to allow this. A punch sends Gomez to the canvas, and a double stomp gets the pin... Uh, and that was even shorter than the Outsiders versus the Extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Joe Gomez is not a local talent just brought in to lose. He is a guy who occasionally wrestles on Nitro, and boy oh boy, he was just here to uh, get over the fact that Kevin Sullivan is tough and he's mad. That was that was all no. this was. It was more an angle uh, than a match, really.
4: You know, uh, um,
3: either of you got thoughts on it?
4: Well, it's it's funny because you actually that was another match you had sent for me to do. Uh, oh, I did. And I was not, <laughs> I was not upset that I did not get to deliver my two sentences that I had written for it. <laughs>
3: uh, Billy, what'd you think?
5: Um, like the only like notable things like I remember for this match is it being very, very quick. And like when he tossed the chair, it's not like how most people do like chair shots today. This man just threw in hoped hope for the best. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. (laughs) And then his double stomp, I just looked at it and I was like, that's pretty realistic. Like, if I went up to my sibling and they were just laying down on the floor and did that, it would be over.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you see the double stomp now, you really see where, like, they bend their knees or they slide their feet off or something to take the brunt off. Kevin Sullivan's double stomp looks like it fucking hurts.
5: (laughs) Like, your wind is gone. Like, you can't
3: (laughs) (laughs) breathe. We go to break with the enticement of Hollywood Hogan answering the Giants challenge after the break. Indeed, after commercial, out comes Hogan with Liz and Eric Bischoff. He also has a little remix to his NWO music as they keep playing a little soundbite calling him the biggest icon in wrestling. Uh, he is wearing an Outsiders shirt this week. What a, what a team player Hulk Hogan has become. Hmm. For whatever reason, halfway down the aisle, Eric just tells Liz to leave and she just heads to the back and she's gone for the rest of the segment it i doesn't play into anything i don't know if th- if it was just to show that eric is in control of liz or somebody threw something and eric felt bad about it. i really don't know it, it just seemed weird to me uh heenan and shivani make sure that we know that she's still out there under duress uh this idea that the nwo has like kidnapped her or whatever is apparently still a part of the angle that i don't feel like i'll ever really understand yeah but eric bischoff gets on the mic first
7: is he too much or what? What is the answer, actually? Yeah, he's too much. Come on, tell him how
0: much you love him. I know you, listen. Oh. Now he wants the spotlight.
7: What you gonna want next? You know, Hollywood,
0: it is, I mean, it's unbelievable to be associated with you. You have shown me more about this sport than I ever thought I could learn. I'll I tell you what, for those of you that were with us last night on pay-per-view, the scientific approach to this match that you took, the offense was unbelievable. The combination of moves, five successive arm drag takedowns, two hip tosses, a fireman's carry into a pinfall, and bam, he remains the heavyweight champion of the world. I loved it. Man. I'm gonna trade sides with you. You got, you got anything you want. Savage couldn't get it done. Piper couldn't get it done. Oh yeah. And now the
2: giant, another in a long list of losers. Well, Mr. Bischoff, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Everybody that gets in the ring with Hollywood is not in the same league. You oh, know, yes, I study my opponents. I premeditate my strategic attack on each and every individual. And as I drug that stupid, dumb giant through a series of Olympic wrestling moves, technical maneuvers, reverse fireman carries. He had nothing left to do but say, yes, Hollywood, you are the greatest. And yes, Hollywood, you shall rule the NWO forever.
7: Absolutely. They're chanting the giant's name. He just
2: couldn't keep up. Well, he goes down on the long list of has-beens. There is the Piper Man, (laughs) the Giant's a has-been. The Macho Man is still soul searching. And anybody else that gets in the ring with Hollywood shall add their name to that list of losers. Now, Hollywood, I understand you want to
0: take a little vacation. But you've been challenged tonight by the Giant. I know you want some time off hit the beach,
2: but what about it, are you gonna take on this big dummy again or what? Well, you know, Mr. Bischoff, you've helped me line up my next few commitments with Warner Brothers, Time Warner, The Merger. I'm gonna put them over the top of my new flick, brother, Shadow Soldiers. But the deal is, yes, for all my NWOites, brother. The people that worship the 24-inch Pythons. For all my loyal followers that are bowing right now at the feet of Hollywood. Look at them bow at Hollywood, yes. I will beat up the giant again. Uh-oh. Hey, how about that? How about that? How about, whoa, how how about that? Our yes. Stinger, our own Stinger in the Macho
0: Man. A little hey different. Macho, like I said, you'll never get a shot in WCW. But if you want a little piece of the NWO deal, hey, come
2: on down. Maybe we can talk. We know something, our Stinger has it all laid out. We know exactly what he's doing. And you know something? The Macho Man, he might have seen the light too, Mr. Bischoff. You know, he might be that missing link that we've been looking for, brother. Could be. He's got no future in WCW, but hey, we can
0: talk. Have your people, call my people, we'll do lunch. Whatever.
2: We love that singer. <laughs> but you know something? I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna do a couple push ups for all the cameramen from the United States, from Suzuki, from the Tokyo Free Press. I'm gonna get in real good shape, because when I come out to beat that giant up again, for all my nwo heights, I'm gonna put on a little posing routine. Ooh, that's that. gonna give you goosebumps from head to toe, and I guarantee you, you'll lay awake all night long, thinking how beautiful Hollywood is. You're gonna do that for us? Really? God, we love
0: you. We love you. You're gonna- Oh, I yeah. You're going to wrestle the Giant here tonight,
2: and you're going to do it for free because you love them as much as they love you. You know what? I will beat the Giant up nine days a week for free, brother. It's easy picking because he's a loser. Show me those guns, Hulk. Show me those guns. Oh, yes.
7: Pass me the Pepto. Whoa. Woo. 25. Hulk Hogan has accepted the Giants' challenge, and wrestling fans worldwide, we will have that match in this program.
3: He says all of his normal stuff uh, Hogan is too much, he loves Hogan, etc., etc. He goes on to polish Hogan's balls a bit, saying that it's an honor just to be associated with Hollywood, and he's learned so much from him. He praises Hogan's technical prowess. Describing a, a match with the Giant from Sold Out, uh, like, y- you know, we watched the match. It was a bullshit schmoz that was just a bunch of punch, kick, eye gouge, punch, kick, eye gouge. Yep. But, like, Bischoff goes through all these technical moves that we supposedly saw on the match. Hogan, who insists on trading places with Eric as he's used to being interviewed uh, on the left side yeah, of the interviewer. definitely noticed that. Yep. <laughs> he's like... He makes a real awkward point of it, too. He's like, I'm going to switch sides with you. He can't just do it and let it be. He has to narrate that he's doing it while it happens. He starts off his promo by quoting 1967's Cool Hand Luke when he says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Hogan claims that his opponents aren't his league, he's too good at studying them, and he easily drug the giant through a series of Olympic wrestling moves, technical maneuvers, reverse fireman carries until the giant finally admitted that Hollywood was the greatest and that he will rule the NWO forever. (laughs) The 43-year-old Hogan then calls the 24-year-old giant a (laughs) has-been and a loser. (laughs) Bischoff asks if Hogan is going to take the giant's challenge, and Hogan says that he should be taking time off to film his new movie, Shadow Soldiers. Ooh. But for... (laughs) Uh, I forget. By the time it comes out, it's like a TNT made-for-TV movie, and by the time it comes out, it's called, like, Assault on Devil Mountain or some insane-ass thing. Uh, but Shadow's cool. I'm excited.
5: Hey, quarantine? <laughs> Pure boredom? We're going to watch that.
3: Oh, that's – you should. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus episode of the podcast right there. <laughs> uh, but Hogan says, for all the NWOites in the crowd, he's decided to accept the match – and we then cut to the stands where Sting and Randy Savage are shown standing and watching the proceedings. Eric addresses Macho Man, saying that hey, WCW doesn't want you, but you can join the w- but you can join the NWO if you just want to come down and talk about it. Uh, now he's probably just lying as a way to attack Macho Man, but if he is inviting him in the NWO, that's a direct contradiction to what he said on commentary last week on Nitro where he made it clear that neither WCW or NWO wanted Savage. Oh,
4: yeah, that's right. He did say that.
3: Hogan and Eric aren't really all that interested in Sting and Macho Man, though, because they eventually just turn around and keep doing their promo, (laughs) like ignoring that they were back there at all. Uh, Hogan says that he's going to get in real good shape over the next 20 minutes so that he can do a very good posing routine before his match later, uh, the posing routine will be so good, Hogan claims, that it will make us all stay up all night thinking about how beautiful Hollywood is. Uh, I'm curious, because we, we've we all watched the match. Did you guys stay up last night thinking about how beautiful Hollywood is?
5: No, absolutely not.
3: <laughs> Dave, how about you? Did you get uh, sleep, or were you up all night?
4: Oh, God, just rolling in my bed, <laughs> just in a, a fever dream about Hollywood's amazing muscles. <laughs> Maybe if I saw maybe if I saw what the Shadow Knights or something like that. I Yeah, yeah. It could have fulfilled my desire for more Hogan muscles.
3: <laughs> Eric is touched by the show of generosity and both of them ramble on some more as the NWO music desperately tries to cut them off. Hogan poses, Bobby Heenan claims to want some Pepto-Bismol, <laughs> and we go to the broadcast booth with the knowledge that our main event tonight will indeed be Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus the giant For just the third time this month, (laughs) I am getting so sick of watching some version of that match.
4: Yeah, I mean, especially since I I think that we'd be kidding ourselves if we expect a different result this time around. Yeah, oh God, yeah. Uh,
3: Tony Schiavone, Mike Tanay, and Bobby Heenan put over Savage's determination to get revenge against Hogan. And after that, Jerry Flynn makes his second ever Nitro appearance, uh, as it is truly a cavalcade of stars tonight. (laughs) Flynn is the opponent of cruiserweight champion Dean Malenko for some reason. Uh, Flynn is definitely not a cruiserweight. They're just it's, – it's typical Nitro where, like, no match – like, half the matchups make no sense. You have no idea why this guy is facing that guy. They could be both heels. They could be in completely different weight divisions. It's all just, like, seemingly drawn out of a hat at the last minute by a guy on cocaine. Right. <laughs> right. Flynn takes control early with a series of kicks, including his uh, running into the corner jump kick where he goes over the top rope into the floor. Uh, Like, the camera angle is such where you can see that it doesn't really connect, but I do really like, uh, for all I can make fun of Jerry Flynn for, I do really like that kick. I really like the way that he sails over the top rope and then lands on his feet on the floor. It's pretty cool. Malenko is unimpressed, though, and when Flynn re-enters the ring, the Iceman hits an overhead belly-to-belly suplex for two. From the floor, Malenko trips Flynn by the ankle and then gets back in the ring and works the leg for a bit. Flynn hits some hilarious-looking punches to the chest. Uh, his his punches look almost like Devin Storm's purposefully weak-looking punches from yeah. earlier. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then he catches Malenko with a nice kick when Dean comes off the top and another spinning back kick to Dean's chin. Uh, I feel like, in fairness, I should say that like, I think Jerry Flynn has very cool kicks uh, but the rest of his, his offense is just no good. He should only kick and do no other things.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: I thought the same thing. Like, I thought his kicks looked so clean and, like, everything else he did, it was just kind of sloppy or...
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a reflection of the fact that he is a... I forget if it's, like, karate or kickboxing, but, like, he he has a legitimate martial arts background. So the kicks are stuff he was... You know, trained at his whole life, and wrestling, I think, is something he fell into over the last few years. Uh, he then hits a power slam for two and tries some more kicks, but Dean finally catches one and turns Flynn over for the Texas Cloverleaf and the submission win. Malenko wins the match and doesn't break much of a su- uh, sweat. It's another enhancement squash match, whatever you want to call them. Uh, for my personal taste, I think as long as we're doing these squash matches, this one had way too much offense. Uh, for Jerry Flynn, I didn't quite get why he was on offense for 70% of the match, at least. Uh, Heenan, though, speaking of commentators trying to, like, cover up for things, he explains it by saying that Dean let Flynn get all those kicks to build up a false sense of confidence, which Dean then capitalized to win the match. Uh, so, you know, hey, I appreciated Heenan trying to make some sense of that. Billy, what did you think of this match?
5: Um, I enjoyed it. Like what I said earlier, Flynn's just strikes were kind of off, other than his kicks that I thought were beautiful. Um, and I liked the transition that Dean did into the Cloverleaf. Like I thought that was really, really clean. It gave um just a little bit more hope for Flynn right before the finish. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I wish uh, Malinka played to the crowd more. He was very like focused on the ring. Like I just wish. He was more outside of it, so he grabbed the crowd's attention a little bit more.
4: Be prepared to be disappointed with the rest of Dean Malenko's career then, <laughs> if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: Dean, I mean, he takes – I. and I think, you know, he does it on purpose. Like, connecting with the crowd is – when we talk about guys uh, who come out to know music, like, Malenko is one of the few who may have been able to pull it off because, like, mm. not connecting to the crowd is a – a
4: feature, not a bug, in the case of of Dean Malenko.
5: He was like, I'm just here to wrestle and go home, guys.
4: Exactly. When I was talking earlier about the, um, that Ultimate Dragon versus Billy Pearl, and how it was like, smaller wrestlers when they have squash matches, they take a few minutes because they don't, they're not big guys so they don't get to overpower guys in like 40 seconds or anything like Mm -hmm. that. I was kind of thinking of this match in my mind when I was mentioning that too. It's just like, it's just not Dean Malenko style to just Like, run over someone with offense and beat him with his submission move. He has to like sell a little bit, counter things, and get into a even for a couple minutes, wants to get into a flow of a match before going to the finish. So, um, yeah, so to me, this is this is like a a good Deem Linko squash match, basically, which is it's still going to be a couple minutes long, but um, Mm. yeah, it's interesting because we have Ultimate Dragon winning an easy match and Malenko winning easy match. Uh, Malenko did refer to dragon. And I think Ray Mysterio jr. Um, to the camera after the match. So I don't know if maybe they're setting up for like a, a rematch uh, for the next pay-per-view or not. I don't, I don't remember exactly how that goes, but um, it definitely seems like they kind of want these two to be the top of the cruiserweight division for the first evil uh, next few shows. We go to commercial
3: break hearing that after Chris Benoit will face Hugh Morris. Uh, when we do come back, though, first the announcers hype the main event.
7: i tell you what, fans, as we are live back here on WCW Monday Nitro, yes, we're sick of hearing about Hulk Hogan's uh, pythons and posing and hearing what Eric Bischoff has to say, but we're genuinely excited that Hulk Hogan and the Giant will collide a little bit later on here tonight on WCW Monday Nitro, aren't we? Well, a chance for the Giant to make it a grand slam. This will be the fourth time that he's gotten into the ring with Hulk Hogan, and to date, it's been all the Giant in those head-to-head matchups. There's no question about it. For the Giant, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, a match we have seen before, but right now the Giant is never as before. He's a determined man, Brain. Well, the weather's going to be getting warmer because the Giant... Wait a minute. Uh, deliver to Tony Schiavone to be open immediately. It's from the from the offices of World Championship Wrestling. You're canned. It could be that. I mean it. I I need to look at this before I read this because I'm just not... Holy, Mike, give me me that microphone. Can we put this on? Because we want the people here to hear this as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we have received a telegram from our WCW offices. Listen to this. And I'm making this announcement live here on Nitro. This is from the executive committee. After careful consideration of the recent conduct on the part of Hollywood Hulk Hogan and careful review of the WCW rights under Hogan's current contract and unanimous approval by the WCW Championship Committee, it has been decided that Hollywood Hulk Hogan must defend the world title at Super Brawl February 23rd in San Francisco. But furthermore, It's also been unanimously decided that this title opportunity be awarded to Rowdy Roddy Piper. (laughs) A copy of this telegram to go to each member of the championship committee and to Ted Turner. What about that? The executive committee has stepped up to the plate again, Tony. And all of a sudden you hear behind us, the fans that chant, ...of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Where are we going next here? We're going to the ring? Let's go to the ring! Let's hear some bagpipe music!
3: And Mike Tanay, God bless him, uh, he says something that really pissed me off. (laughs) He says that the Giant will try tonight to make it a grand slam as he's going to be facing Hogan for the fourth time, uh, which is, again, three this January, and then last August, Hog Wild would be the fourth. Uh, And... As Tanay tells it, the Giant has dominated every single meeting between the two. Now, that ignores the fact that Hulk Hogan is 2 and one in those contests and that every single one of them ended with a bunch of NWO run-in bullshit. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, you guys, every time these two face off, the Giant just dominates Hogan and there's nothing Hogan can do. And it's like, but I've seen the matches. Every time some guys run in and, and it's a DQ or some bullshit happens, like... Don't trick me into into thinking, like, tonight's the night the giant really has a chance. Right. I've seen this one before, and and, yeah. and it just, it's like an insult to our intelligence to pretend it's going to be any different, you know? As the announcers continue on, a uniformed police officer walks up and hands something to Tony Schiavone. It's an envelope from the WCW offices who eventually got a, who somehow got a cop to serve as their messenger, I guess. Yeah, I don't so know how that works. It's
5: like, what? Why is the cop delivering the (laughs) telegram? Like,
3: what? Uh, Tony is so stunned by the contents of the letter that he stands up and asks for a microphone so he can share this news with the crowd. And he informs us that the executive committee has decided that due to Hogan's recent behavior, they have decided that Hulk Hogan must defend his WCW World Heavyweight title on February 23rd at Super Brawl. And that his opponent at that event will be the man who beat him four weeks ago at Starcade, Rowdy Roddy Piper.
4: Although did he defeat him at Starcade? I still haven't seen the replay of that yet. <laughs> I just haven't seen that tape. Right. <laughs> when will they get me the tape? <laughs> right. I I mean, like I the fans reacted. They're excited. Um. But it's just like, do, don't you feel like that's really giving away the finish to what's going to happen tonight? Then. Because the Giants not gonna face Roddy Piper at Super Bowl, right? I, I well, and I,
3: I, from now until the rest of the show, I gotta tell you, I am not clear if the title is even on the line when Hogan faces the Giant.
4: I don't know. Do you know? Do you feel like you know for sure? No, I don't feel like I know for sure. I felt like <laughs> I felt like the Giant mentioned it at the beginning, and then right. and then we've gone all of our way to not clarify for the rest of the show.
3: Yeah it's It's very confusing, but like you said, the crowd was hot for the announcement. Roddy Piper is is still a big draw. You know, we saw how Starcade got twice the buy rate that sold out did. Um, so definitely R- Piper is still a name that people are excited to see., uh, The announcers are very stunned by this news, and they notably have no idea if Piper even wants the match. Of course, the last time we saw him on Nitro, Before he was attacked by the NWO, he said that Starcade was his last match Mm -hmm. and that he had no interest in coming back and fighting for the title or anything. Uh, Meanwhile, during all of that, Hugh Morris makes his entrance, followed by Chris Benoit, who, in spite of declaring his intention to come to the ring alone tonight, is accompanied by a woman. And here to call all the action for this one is our own Dave
4: Ammentorp. All right. Uh, so the match begins with Benoit unloading on Morris in the corner with chops, kicks, and a few headbutts. Uh, he turns around and throws up the four fingers at the horsemen to the crowd. And, and, and the crowd, you can tell, is, is a lot more lively now that they got like that Roddy Piper announcement. So they're yeah. they're a lot hotter now than they were like five minutes ago.
3: And Benoit is, even by his own standards, really fired up tonight. Like, he's going extra vicious with those kicks and chops. Yeah. I think it's because he just likes going up uh, against a big Haas guy like Hugh Morris. Mm-hmm. Like, Morris is one of those guys who likes to keep things snug, and and I think that's just, like, the style that Benoit prefers. But for whatever reason, he's, he's fired up for this one. Yeah.
4: Uh, Benoit tries to whip Morris out of the corner, but the laughing man counters with a clothesline to the back of the head. Humoris lifts Benoit up and drops him with a huge press slam, which gets woman screaming in the corner. However, Benoit quickly recovers, dropping humoris with a vicious clothesline for a two count. Uh, humoris drops Benoit with a power slam, but his attempt at the no laughing matter, which Tony calls the last laugh, but yes, know, who cares? Like, doesn't matter. He misses it. The Last Laugh would be a good name
3: for it, too. That's the weird thing. I was I, I was trying to Google to find if he did have a different ma- uh, move called The Last Laugh. Uh-huh. And I didn't turn up anything, but it does appear that he wrote a book called The Last Laugh, which oh. I didn't look up any details, but I think the book is mostly about how actually he's not a bully <laughs> and he didn't <laughs> right. abuse people at the Performance Center. Right. And actually, he's really nice. You just need to talk to the right people.
4: It <laughs> just... <laughs> I just Now, why would Hugh Morris want to write a book? What does he have to talk about? So Chris Mawaz quick to his feet, seizing the opportunity to hit a flying headbutt of his own. However, another woman has jumped the guardrail and front's woman, which is confusing. And, and and my sentences get really confusing now because I keep writing that woman is talking to a woman <laughs> woman is talking
3: to a woman
4: right <laughs> um but i want I want to mention that the 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 woman that's confronting woman um these two appear to know each other because woman the person that's named woman is asking what she is doing here um, yes so you get the idea right away that they know each other. Yes. Um, While security takes away the mystery woman, Kevin Sullivan is suddenly in the ring and has already broken a wooden chair over Chris Benoit's (laughs) head. Which is just, it's one of those things where the camera just misses everything.
3: They, it seems like missing chair shots between these two is a hobby at this point. Because (laughs) half the time they hit each other with chairs, we do not get to see it, at least from a good angle. Mm Mm-hmm.
4: Um, at this point, we finally get uh, a shot that is the that you can see the mystery woman's face, and it is Jacqueline, who is at the time better known as Miss Texas from the USWA. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Hugh Morris uh, hits his finisher, no matter what you want to call it, on Chris Benoit and gets a pinfall victory, because in WCW, feuds never, ever end. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Ah, uh, before we do the post-match angle, uh, Billy, what do you think of the match?
5: Um, I thought the match was really good. I love how Ben Wall was very like aggressive with all of his strikes. Like all of them looked like they were impactful. And I don't think um, headbutts are done enough today. Like they're like a unique strike that people usually don't use. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Hugh Morris, like moonsault, was so pretty. Um, Also, when they missed the chair shot, I had no idea that had happened um, until later in the show when they did, like, a replay of it. And I was like, okay, now the finish makes more sense.
6: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah.
5: Because I was like, what just happened? Because it was so focused on the random girl that came out from the crowd and woman having, like, that little shabackle. And then you go back to the ring and it's over. And I was like, okay, what just happened?
8: (laughs) (laughs) To make of it tony shivani kevin sullivan who is this woman
9: it's none of your business
8: wait a minute presumably you do know this woman she just couldn't walk up like somebody off the street and approach you like this
0: we know each other
8: how well do you know her
0: that doesn't matter that was in the past
8: well i i don't know what to make of it jimmy hart what's your take on what's going on here tonight you know Testmaster, this smells like trouble to me Women in the WCW. Look what's happened to the four horsemen with woman running around, Deborah McMichaels running around everywhere. When I see the four horsemen, they're just a shell of their former self. I feel like I'm watching the days of our lives. This is nothing but trouble,
9: trouble, trouble. And you've been there before. Who are you? Trouble? Trouble? Kevin, honey. Baby, I tried to stay away, but I couldn't. When Nessie hit you on the head with that chair, that was it, that was it. 10 years ago, you made a decision and that was a big mistake. Baby, I would never do you like that.
8: Oh, Look at this, look at this, Kevin Sullivan. There's gotta be some kind of an explanation.
0: Jimmy Hart has told you there's been trouble because the Horseman can't stay focused, cause there's woman and there's McMichaels. What do you have to say about that? What's
9: your name? Don't you worry about it. You, don't you ever mention my name or put my name in the same category as woman and Deborah Mike Michaels? See, Nancy, you walk around here looking like a Fugitive from a fat form. Police. And Miss Daryl McMichaels, that bleach blonde bimbo. Uh Uh-oh. Reason why you wearing no long gowns, those long dresses, because you got legs like a chicken. Got legs like what? A chicken. A chicken? That's right. Jimmy. Come here, honey. Now, see, you are the greatest manager around today. But you can't give him what I can give him.
8: Just a second here, lady. This is a family show.
9: And that's comfort. And I'm gonna give you comfort. Come here, baby.
8: Wait a minute. I, I don't know what the assessment I can make on this, but apparently this is some kind of a Relationship from days gone by. Tony, I'd be very curious to hear what you, Heenan, and Mike today have got to say about this. I can't, I can't give you anything. I
3: don't know who she is. Sullivan Hart and the mysterious new woman head up the aisle where they are intercepted by Mean Jean. Jean asks Sullivan who she is, and a very bored-sounding Kev- Kevin Sullivan says that it's none of Jean's business. After being pressed, Sullivan admits that he knows her, but he won't say how well. Jimmy Hart says this smells like trouble and that women in WCW always cause trouble, just like woman and Deborah are doing. Mm. Uh, Yeah, we couldn't get through the whole show. Like one misogynistic comment wasn't enough. We had to get more. So (laughs) there's that's not going to be the last one either. Unfortunately, Uh, the woman in question speaks next. And as Dave said, and as wrestling fans will know, this is WWE Hall of Famer Jacqueline. The 33-year-old Jacqueline Moore was born in Dallas, Texas, and like many in that era, area, excuse me, grew up a fan of the Von Erichs. She has a black belt in Taekwondo and experienced kickboxing and boxing, and began training for wrestling after meeting world-class championship wrestling manager Skandor Akbar at the gym. She was the only woman to train at Akbar School, and she debuted in 1988 in WCW as a uh, as Sweet Georgia Brown. And just to be clear, that is WCCW, the the uh, old Von Erichs World Class Championship Wrestling. Right. Uh, she had matches there, also in Japan for FMW, and in a few all women indies throughout the U.S. Uh, from there, she moved to Memphis, where she, as Dave mentioned, wrestled for the USWA as Miss Texas. She was the first USWA Women's Champion, and through the USWA's relationship with WWF she was set to join the World Wrestling Federation as Jeff Jarrett's new manager, Winona. Uh, Vignettes were filmed for this, but before her debut, she got injured and the character was scrapped. Instead, after taking time off, she went to Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling where she was uh, a character called Sergeant Rock as there was a militia-themed faction there, I guess. Yeah,
4: I I read that and I was like, are are you sure that's right? Because it was on (laughs) on Wikipedia. I was like, "Uh, that doesn't sound like That does not sound like a name for a women's wrestler at the time.
3: Sergeant Rock?
4: Sergeant Rock, yeah. Uh, And
3: after Smoky Mountain Wrestling died, she started just sending pictures. uh, Because she has, like, she's got incredible biceps and and other muscles. So she just started sending pictures to WCW, being like, hey, look, I'm trained and I'm jacked. Like, get me in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it worked. They were eventually noticed by someone and handed off to J.J. Dillon, who got in Uh, touch with her and offered her a contract and here she is she tells sullivan that she tried to stay away from him but she just couldn't uh and when you look at the giant inflated baby-like figure of kevin sullivan what woman could resist you know (laughs) when she saw nancy hit sullivan with a chair at last week's clash of the champions it was too much and she says 10 years ago sullivan made a mistake." I guess the assumption that we're to make is the audience is that he ended a relationship with her. Sullivan mm. asks her about Jimmy Hart's claim that women, they be causing problems. Right. And before she can, before she can even answer, Gene asks, uh, just starts badgering her for her name. He can't even like let her answer one question before she asks another. Uh, Jacqueline tells Gene not to worry about her name, and she tells Jimmy Hart not to lump her in with Woman and Deborah. She says that Nancy Sullivan looks like a fugitive from a fat farm and that Deborah is a bleach blonde bimbo who wears long dresses to hide her chicken legs. Jacqueline concedes that Jimmy Hart is the best manager around today, but says that she but says that he can't give Sullivan what she can, which is comfort. Uh, Honestly, I thought that when she says like I can give Kevin Sullivan something that you can't. I thought Jimmy Hart looked kind of bummed. Like <laughs> <laughs> he looked, he looked like he wished he could, but he's like, "Well, you're right." And again, well, I do anything, just that, baby. Yeah, it's just that Kevin Sullivan is so irresistible that even like a straight right. man, when next to Kevin Sullivan, how could you resist? <laughs> the man's just so sexy. <laughs> Okerlin wants to know what Shivani and company think about all this, and as the replays roll, we learn that the answer to the question of what the broadcast team thinks of all this is. Not much, as uh, they just kind of describe the replays and then head to break. And as they go to break, Shivani just goes, more women. And Tanay goes, oh, it's just what we need. <laughs> 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 oh, de- no. The show, could de- the show could desperately use more women.
4: Like, come on. Not, not only that, but like, um, I mean, they just at Starcade, they crowned a women's champion. We need more women wrestlers. And Jacqueline yes. is like the most woman wrestler they could get at this time that's not Medusa. Yeah, by nineteen ninety
3: seven free agent stand uh standards, it's like you either bring in somebody from a woman from Japan mm-hmm. or like Jackie is about as good as you're gonna be able to get on the free agent market right now. Yeah. So, like, yeah, definitely, like, her showing up is a great thing. I was I was sad that it was for this. Like, right. I felt like it was a real, a bad sign that she is going to be as wasted uh, as Medusa and some of the other women talent that we've seen come in. Uh, but I'm curious, as just watching the angle outside of the context of, of all the other stuff with Sullivan and Benoit that we've been watching, uh, Billy, what did you make of all this? Was it Was it entertaining? Do you want to know more?
5: I was entertained just because of the fact of, like, the emotions that were going on. Like, Jimmy Hart was, like, utterly disgusted by this woman. He was like, why is she here? I don't need this. <laughs> and then um, Sullivan being like, yeah, she's here. I don't really mess with her anymore, but she's cool. <laughs> um, And she just, like, when she called out the other women, I felt like that set up, like, a good time for, like, it's going to lead for there to be a woman like match which i thought was kind of good like and the points that she made it was like she's a bleach bomb blim- blimo and she wears long dress to hide her chicken legs i was like oh that was great
3: <laughs> <laughs> i agree the problem is that neither nancy sullivan or deborah and michael are wrestlers so like that's certainly especially in 97 that doesn't mean that they won't have a match between Jacqueline and either one of them mm-hmm. but it does mean if they do it would be a awful mess.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been better if Jacqueline was attacking Medusa during a match. Um, yeah. I think that just something where it's more obviously going to lead to her wrestling another women's wrestler would have been great. Right. Um I like I like just the detail of Jacqueline keep uh, referring to woman as Nancy. Um I thought it was kind of a yep. nice little touch to indicate that there is like a very personal few between them. Um mm-hmm. I I I I feel like it's very um irritating that they didn't give her a name.
3: Well, she just showed up. I don't mind her being mysterious for I mean it's only the first week. I I think I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, I thought that was fine.
4: I mean, I I would have been fine with that except for the fact that they kept trying to get the name out of her. If they would have just kind of stuck to the story and not just been like what is your name and she doesn't give an answer i don't know yeah um yeah you know, i mean if they clear it up by next week then i'm that then that would be fine too so
3: i guess the only issue is that it's not like there's a woman that we've heard of and never seen where when she says her name we're gonna be like oh that's susan or whatever oh like, sure yeah So it it does seem weird to keep it a mystery just because when they do reveal it, it's not going to mean anything. There's no, you know, we're not going to be like, oh, of course, as the storyline told us, Carol was Kevin Sullivan's first wife, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do agree with you that it does seem weird to keep it a mystery simply because, like, when she finally says, my name's Jacqueline, that doesn't, that's not going to mean anything for any of us. Anyway, during the commercial break, we do see the power plant commercial that we haven't seen in a long time that... Still seems very early to mid '90s. Like even by '97, it seems like it kind of stands out yeah. as especially cheesy. The Harvard of professional wrestling, as they call it. Uh, after that, yeah, the I end thought of that
5: e- was really cool that they
3: that they're advertising the school.
5: Yeah, during the show, I felt like that would have gotten a lot of attention for people who wanted to become wrestlers.
4: Oh sure, yeah. And the power—I mean, the power plan uh, for the time it was around was really successful. Um, I feel like they they were capable of like training people that weren't that just came into it without any experience and getting people that were capable. Of, I mean, because like they they trained Goldberg, um, and I mean I can't think of any other examples right now besides <laughs> Goldberg, but
3: <laughs> um, Palumbo, O'Hare were definitely from there. Oh, sure. Um. I mean, like, they're not huge names, but, like, they had, you know, they had successful careers. Yeah. And uh, just
4: the idea that they, they took guys that weren't, they weren't, like, independent wrestlers or guys that had, like, years, some years of experience already wrestling. They took people that, and they were able to mold, like, potential out of them. Is kind of what yeah. I was getting at. Sure. The NWO
3: music plays for a third time and out walks Hollywood Hulk Hogan uh, for his either title or non-title, who the fuck knows, match against the Giant. Right. Hogan has Ted DiBiase, Vincent, and Eric Bischoff with him, and unfortunately, a microphone.
7: <laughs> Hollywood Hulk Hogan, there you see Ted DiBiase, he's got
2: his microphone with him, of course he does, why not? Hogan's pacing. Let me tell you NWO like something. Nobody, but nobody tells the NWO what to do. Nobody tells Trillionaire Ted, nobody tells Eric Bischoff, and nobody tells Hollywood man. I fire directors one after the other. And as far as Rowdy Roddy Piper goes, I'm gonna beat the Giants brains in one more time for my NWites. So why don't they just send Rowdy Roddy Piper out here with him? I'll take care of both of them at the same time. 25. Get out of here, you coward! Get out of here, you coward!
7: Sure, bring Piper out too. I'd like to see Piper
3: and Hogan. Hogan says that nobody tells him or the NWO what to do, and if Piper wants to fight, Hogan will just beat him up right after he gets done with the Giant here tonight. Shivani wishes that Piper would team up with the Giant tonight, and then says, and I quote, "They could stomp his brains in and out of his head." <laughs> There's like this long pause before he goes, of his head, in case you thought they were stomping his brain out of something else. <laughs> I I <laughs> right. The Giant and his lack of music are out for the big man's second match this evening. Uh, this time he gets some pyro, like the lamest pyro imaginable. It's just a bang and then some smoke. There's like no sparks or anything. Uh, it seems especially sad with no music behind it. Uh, Anyway, the Giant slides into the ring, and Hogan and Vincent immediately start kicking him. The bell rings, even though a man who's not in the match is kicking one of the men who is. Mm. Uh, It should have been an immediate disqualification, but Mark Curtis is going to allow this. The Giant soon throws both men off of him and throws Vincent completely out of the ring. Giant then slams Hogan's head into the turnbuckle and hits some chops that Hogan sells like death. Giant punches, kicks, and elbows Hogan, and Tanay says that this is similar to the pattern of their other matches. Oh, do you fucking think so, Professor? <laughs> <laughs> right. These two guys in there punching each other and doing a bunch of, like, eye gouges and shit, is, is that something that we've seen before, <laughs> do you think?
4: Thank God you, Iron Mike. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hogan gets some eye gouges and some punches and then an Irish whip and a running clothesline. He misses a punch and gets a chop and a clubbering blow to the back. The Giant hits a very gentle backbreaker. Whenever he does a backbreaker on Hogan, he protects him so much. He just gently sets him down on his knee like a little baby. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) darling. He gets a two count from that, but Vincent puts Hogan's leg on the bottom rope. The Giant slams Vincent into the ring and then clotheslines him back over the top outside. Uh, It takes two attempts because Vincent sucks. (laughs) Um, the giant goozles hogan and instead of choke slamming him for whatever reason he gets him like for the choke slam but then he just kicks him in the stomach instead it's like he remembered oh i'm i'm not supposed to choke slam him i better just do anything else Mm -hmm. uh that's enough though to get bischoff in the ring where he hits some very weak shots to the giant's back annoying the giant who googles who goozles eric that causes the outsiders to hit the ring mark curtis finally calls for the disqualification And the NWO once again beat down the Giant. Lex Luger, making good on his word earlier that he would work with the Giant on behalf of WCW, then comes out in a Nitro t-shirt and uh, showing no signs of urgency, he jogs leisurely to the ring. (laughs) The Giant is suspicious of Luger and they have a standoff with the outsider standing there hoping that uh, the Giant and Luger attack each other. And then the climax of the angle is meant to be Luger like turning around and facing down the Outsiders with the giant so that they're kind of a team staring down the Outsiders together. But the show is ending as this happens and Shivani decides it's more important to hype the Piper and Hogan angle. So as this climax of the angle is happening he's just yelling Roddy Piper will you answer the call. S- completely undercutting everything going on in the ring, and then as, like, an afterthought, as the credits are showing up on the bottom of the screen, he goes, oh, and Luger is standing with the giant. And the show goes off the air.
4: <laughs> well done, uh, everyone.
3: <laughs> I thought on paper it was a good angle, showing them a lining, and-, and, like, hey, you know, these guys are getting beaten down long enough, and they're going to start working together. But the execution... Not only by the way that Luger kind of did it in the ring, like I he didn't just wasn't hitting it quite correctly. Mm-hmm. And the announcing I thought really disserviced the whole thing. Uh, I thought a good idea on paper came off horribly as they were like rushing to get off the air. Uh Billy, what'd you think?
5: I wish like Luger was more like in a state of emergency when he was trying to go save mm-hmm. um the giant. Like he just seemed like oh, I'm just here to hang out, guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right.
5: Um, but, like, I did enjoy, like, the standoff where it was like, oh, are they going to turn on each other for that split second? And then them facing against the NWO. But I felt like the commentary degraded that by not putting enough focus on that. They were focusing on other topic topics that they should have been focusing more on what was happening in the ring.
3: hmm Dave, what do you think of the last angle here?
4: Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I, I think the idea of Luger and the Giant teaming up against Outsiders is great. Um, I, I And I, can, I, I, I get the dramatics of him coming in and being kind of a question mark. Um, and they could have just, like, just did a second or two staring each other down, then him turning, instead of, like, this kind of long, drawn-out thing and... Um, Yeah, it's just uh, like the pacing of it and the delivery was kind of off. But the idea behind it is really good, especially since it's fairly obvious at this point that the Giant is no longer in the world championship picture. Um, So I think the next best thing would be him and Luger teaming up against the Outsiders.
3: All right. Well, that brings us to the end of Nitro. Uh, So before we get to MVP and segment of the night, let's talk about what we thought of the show overall Billy, you said earlier you really like this show. Uh, after talking through it, you're, you're holding to that?
5: Um, I enjoyed, like, there's parts of it that, like, I questioned, Like, some of the promos felt like were long and just stuff I wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. But, like, the matches, overall, I enjoyed it, and yeah.
3: And as someone who's more used to, to the modern wrestling, how do you think it stacks up against uh, – and we won't compare, like, the empty arena Raw – but, like, let's say, a, you know, a current day full arena NXT. How do you think Nitro, does it hold up at all? Or is this something where, like, yeah, that was then and, you know, I'd rather stick with, with what's on now?
5: I feel like it's just two different styles of wrestling and time periods. So, like, I don't think it gives it right to compare both of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like NXT is doing good for what it is made for and what it is today. And I felt like this was probably good for when it was back then and that time. And it's just, like, what you enjoy watching. So, like, I will probably enjoy watching more modern wrestling because that's what I grew up watching. While some people might enjoy this more because that's what they grew up watching. It's just just styles and per, what you prefer.
4: Uh, Dave, what do you think of Nitro as a whole? Uh, well, I was to uh, say that I, I agree 100% with what Billy was saying. I think when it comes to um, areas of wrestling that people prefer. I think what you grow up on is such a big factor that, that people need to consider. It's just like what's instilled in you when, when you're like getting to know wrestling, that's the, that's the wrestling that you right. connect with the most. So I, I think it's, and it's certainly why like, uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's certainly why
3: I'd rather watch sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I'd rather watch the bad wrestling from when I was seven years old than the good wrestling from now, Mm-hmm on like I recognize that what would be on now is better but it's like god damn it just give me like the warlord in there with tatanka and like they both can barely move right. and like
4: <laughs> it's just it's comfortable that's what i know you know yeah <laughs> um as far as the show is concerned I, I i do like i feel like a good um productive squash match is always uh, a plus i think this show had too many of them um, I would mm-hmm. prefer to see one or two on a show. Whereas on this one, you can say at least six of them were squash matches. Um right. Even something like Arn Anderson, McMichael against like the amazing French Canadians is one where it's like an obvious winner sort of thing. Um, but there were, yeah, there was like some good, some good angles and, and things like that. Um, I mean, it's very unfortunate that the giant is not going to be a big focus in the world championship picture, but I'm kind of knowing that he's not, I'm going to be happy to move on from that now because mm. it's just, we had three matches between those two were pretty much played out exactly the same. And you just kind of right. feel bad for the giant because he, he just, he looks really ignorant expecting like, this is going to be the match in which I'll get my fair shot when it's, it's never right. going to happen. Yeah. So, um, but I think, uh, we have something to look forward to the next few weeks because we have this Roddy Piper Hogan rematch for the championship and, and Piper so far is the only guy that's been shown that can beat Hogan. So it feels like a more of like a big deal, legitimate championship match is going to happen in a few weeks. Yep. I would agree. Um,
3: and like you said, with all the squash matches, we've certainly seen lately that, Nitro is definitely settled on a format where they are throwing out a lot of matches and very little of them get much time. Mm. Um, and as I've said, kind of every week that we've had this new format, which is really a change over like the last maybe four or five episodes. I would like at least one or two matches to be given more chance to breathe here. We had the Steiner's tag in the opener, uh, but the, even that could have gone a little bit longer. Just just give me one or two matches that go eight or nine minutes. Just something I can point to. I'd be like, well, that one wasn't a complete squash, and I feel yeah. like I'd be a lot happier. Um, so I thought this episode was fine. I was down on it when I watched it, but I realized partway through that I was more just still angry about sold
4: out, uh, <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> which is which is understandable, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so
3: when like I was hearing, uh, especially Billy, who was like kind of walking into it un. Um, unsullied from that horrible show. I was like, <laughs> right. you know what? This wasn't bad. I was just angry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, this this Nitro was fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It was fine. So yeah, that wraps up our thoughts on Nitro. All that's left is our segment of the night, our MVP. But before we do that, uh, we do want to give Billy a chance to plug anything that's out there. Merch, social media, anything you want to plug. Billy, it's it's your time.
5: Um, I'm on twitter facebook and instagram as billy starks b-i-l-l-i-e um starts ends with a z and i have a pro wrestling tease and that's about it
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> all right well yeah be sure and uh follow billy check her out uh i was watching like i said i was watching you and kylie ray i'm gonna check out some more matches i was uh i've heard so many good things about black label pro and i just i don't know that i've ever actually watched any their stuff but it was a lot of fun i was like oh i see why this is a uh a group that a lot of people care about and that's they're out of the like northwest right so that's that's a pretty that's a far trip for you to get out there and, and wrestle
5: it's about uh i want to say four hours but i feel like that's long um yeah it's in crown point indiana near chicago
3: Oh okay that is not where i thought. I thought they were out of like Washington and Oregon then. So okay.
5: No.
3: <laughs> okay. Um yeah so that's that's one group we work with. Um I'm curious this is something you know it's it sucks to talk about but during the like shutdown and stuff were did you have big plans like uh and correct me if i'm wrong but like uh, cuz it's something they said on the commentary the match i was watching were are you finishing up school like right now?
5: Um yeah i'm still in school. Like I literally have been doing all my work online and still trying to function like that. So I'm still in school um, while wrestling and it's been an experience, but it's something I've just learned. Like this is normal life for me where it's like, oh, I'll do my school papers on the road and type it on my phone.
3: (laughs) That's crazy and kudos to you for balancing both of those i can i can barely balance like this podcast which i do when i feel like it for fun with my normal job (laughs) so that's amazing (laughs) uh (laughs) and we'll start with you as we go into our segment of the night and mvp uh and we'll start with segment of the night because i feel like maybe that was an easier choice this week billy starks what was your segment of the night
5: Mm-hmm. Ah, this is a hard choice <laughs> there was like a lot of things like I enjoyed but there was always like those little things that like sucked me out of like each segment mm-hmm. but I feel like the, my like favorite segment of the night was the second match of Roadblock versus Big Show or the Giant
3: oh mm-hmm. nice <laughs> that was a fun big mad match uh, Dave what was your segment of the night
4: Um, I would say um, maybe just kind of lumping it all together I, I, I enjoyed the uh, appearance by Jacqueline um, and sort of like the chaotic finish to like Ben and Hugh Morris and, and Jacqueline, I felt like for a new person um, I thought she did really good on, on the microphone as far as um, giving a promo and things like that. And just, you know, I, cause we've just, we've had new faces that have shown up and it just maybe fallen a little bit flat. But it seemed like she had a good idea of like how to bring her character across, and and she's just like a very comp- interesting looking individual because she's like she's small, but you could just tell she's like all muscle. Uh, like I I look at her, and I'm like I'm interested in seeing her like throw people around. You know, i not, not I don't want her to be a valet. I want her to be like suplexing people. So uh, <laughs> sure, I thought I thought that whole. Thing. I mean, it, I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know if it's going to be a good interesting because it is Jacqueline who is a wrestler, but she doesn't have like a an actual opponent. A, anyone to mm. feed with at this point. But I yeah. thought the whole I thought the whole um segment played out really well.
3: I'm going to give my segment of the night to Eric Bischoff firing Randy Anderson. Uh, I'm cutting it off there. I didn't like the follow up with the Steiner brothers giving back the belts just because I thought it made the Steiners look unnecessarily weak and in a way that doesn't fit their characters very well. Uh, but I did really like, um, you know, we, I complained on sold out that they were telegraphing that this was going to happen. But if I ignore what happened on sold out and I'm just taking this in fresh, I really like the way it came off. Eric came off. He started the show. Like I'm pissed off. I'm here to write a wrong. Like I'm taking care of this right now. Anderson, you're gone. I don't care that I don't care about your personal problems with, which again, is a way of glossing over the man's real-life cancer. Yes. Um, yeah. Which, like... And and I do have to say, like, on the show, if you take it out of context, it was very entertaining. It's one of those things, like we always talk about with Chris Benoit, though, where, like, unfortunately, through the lens of history, um, Randy Anderson will pass away from that testicular cancer in, like, 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, like, one of those things that retroactively, you're like, holy shit, that might be in bad taste. But, like, at the time... Randy Anderson was fully on board. He thought it was, like, a great angle. Uh, I know because we've heard – I've heard Dave Penzer, who was close with him, talk about it. Um, So, like, it was something that at the time he was comfortable with, he thought was a great angle. Uh, So I I just thought it came off as a television angle really great. Um, So that was my segment of the night. Uh, For MVP, we'll snake back around and start with me. Uh, Honestly, and this is maybe the first time I've done this, I don't think anyone really was an obvious MVP. There was no one person – that stood out as the most valuable part of Nitro. Mm -hmm. So I'm breaking the rules a little bit, and I'm going to consider my award tonight instead a Most Improved Award, which I'm going to award to Steve Mongo McMichael. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't think I could ever give Mongo an MVP. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But but if I consider it a Most Improved, I don't feel as weird about it. Um, Like, I actually – I was so expecting him to mess up that before I watched the rest of the show – I watched his match just to be like, ooh, Mongo's in a match this week. What kind of goofy thing is going to happen? And when I watched it and nothing terrible happened, I was like, wow, he, uh, I know it happened over 20 years ago, but he showed me. <laughs> he, was, he was actually good. I like his, his promos. I like his presence. Uh, so as my notes say here on my sheet, fuck it, Mongo. <laughs> 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 uh, Eric, who is your MVP of the show? Eric, Eric? <laughs> Dave <laughs> What? I'm I'm now fantasizing that me and Eric Bischoff are hosting this show together. Right. <laughs> uh, Dave, person who I've known for two decades now. Yeah. <laughs> what did what did you think of the show?
4: What did I think of the show? Right. <laughs> Tim?
3: I'm going insane. <laughs> I think I'm having I must have COVID and this is the stroke. Yep. I'm yep. finally having the stroke. <laughs> Dave, who
4: is your who is your goddamn MVP? Um, well, I, I feel like I was indicating with my segment, but um, I'm going to give it to the mystery woman who is not being named yet. Uh, I Again, I just feel like that um, lots of times there are new people, especially new people that are suddenly given the opportunity to talk in the mic that just kind of fall flat um, in WCW, yeah. and I, I thought that she held herself very well. Um, again, she just has such an interesting look to her that it makes me want to... Um, see her in action, just see a little bit more of her. So anytime there's like a debut and I want to see the person more, I that's a, that's a huge plus. So I'm giving mine to the mystery woman.
3: All right. Well, before I am hauled out of my house on a stretcher, Billy Starks, who is your MVP of nitro?
5: Um, Eddie Guerrero is the most important player for me.
3: (laughs) All right. That is always a good answer. Yes. yes. (laughs) All right. Well, Billy, thanks so much for watching Nitro and joining us to talk about it. We really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the rest of of school and the continuance of your wrestling career. We look forward to seeing what you got in the future.
5: Thank you.
3: As for the show, you can join us here sometime in the next week or so for a worldwide episode where we will talk about what happened on Raw, the Monday night ratings results, uh, all the news from the dirt sheets and more. You can find that right here where the big boys play, 20 Years of Nitro.
7: They just stomp his brains right in and out of his head.